Well, hello. Hey, let's do a podcast. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do to it. To hell what they say. To hell with popular opinion. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. We yeah. my my dad has an old barn. We have some wood, and my mom has some onions. Let's put on a podcast. The classic Roll credits. That's good. Yeah, that's good. That's that's what we'll do. <laughs> classic babes on podcast. Exactly. I've never seen that movie, but that's fine. You never, I, I you never seen gist. Babes on Broadway? No, I've seen, I've seen every parody of it, but mm-hmm. I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. I got the gist. I watched Carol Burnett. I know. What, yeah, I know yeah. I've never seen it. No. The thing I like about it is that it's in an actor's colony. <laughs> like it feels like it feels you know you're thinking like oh how right, would these how would these kids the have lepers, access to this the stuff? Would call, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, go yeah. ahead. How would these kids have? You said it's like a like a leper's colony. Yeah, right next door to the yeah yeah colony yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Actors, yeah. yeah. That's right. Next and right next door to the leopard's colony, which Steve is more dangerous. Ah, all right. Mm, scary. Uh, but yeah, so you know when you like the parodies of it, you're like. Oh, how ridiculous. And then you watch it, you're like, okay, well, it's an actor's colony. I, I can see that there's going to be like talented people in this place where other talented people are. It's not like, it's not like, you know, every, everywhere Main Street USA, it's like a specific, you know, place where a bunch of like uh, theater brats put on a show. So in, in that way, it, it's, you know, it's not quite as ludicrous as the whole, you know, <laughs> my uncle's got a barn. Let's, but yeah. Now is uh in this reality that they live in, is this a reality where when people are singing, they're actually singing, or is it a, is it a musical reality where their emotions get so strong they just sing and music starts? It's a it's a both reality. Yeah, that makes no sense to me. It's all. a both reality. It's a, yeah, I don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy it. Well, that's most. That's all musicals. No, it, no, it's not. No, like so, I, I'm trying to think. Sound of Music, I think, justifies uh, music. No. I, yeah. When she's singing in the hills? Yeah, that's just her singing to herself. But where's all the music coming from? The hills. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. The hills. They're I, alive with the sound of music. I guess. I guess. I don't know. I I think that all musicals have that as as a as a as a functioning element to that. I think it's sound of music though, they justify it every time. Like I, I know off the top it sure. seems like she's doing a you know, there's a bright golden haze on the meadow, but it's I, I don't think it's I don't think it's that. I think I think that's just her taking your time away and basically like you're walking through the woods and singing a song to sure. yourself. Some yeah, some, some parts are performative, but other ones aren't, I don't think. So are they? Can you think of anything in sound of music that's just uh, the reality breaking someone's yeah. like Yeah, when they're out like wearing their curtains and they're out running around playing and they're singing a song. But she says to them, uh, okay, here's the thing. These are kids who are musical kids. Yeah. yeah. They are a singing they are sure, a singing group. Sure, sure. So she is teaching them a song. Yeah. Now I know there are edit points. I get that. So mm-hmm. that's a little yeah, I see where you're going with that. But it's conceivable okay. that she's teaching them this song. Sure. And they and you know, and they're gonna let's and, and you don't see them going, let's do it again. And then they sing it again, and now we're cutting into that spot where they're actually doing the uh, the song. I get that's the that's yeah. the reality bending okay. bit. And now now ex- explain to me West Side Story with the singing gangs. 
that's the thing. They live in that other crazy world where music just starts. But the but there's nothing in West Side Story where someone goes, I, I don't, and I'm going to get out of here. And how? Because I'm going to be a singer. You could never be a singer. No one succeeds as a singer. I don't know. Well, can you? But you said before that you think that's crazy. Like yeah. I, I think most most musicals follow that. I mean, like on the town, it's three sailors. Yeah. And they come off of the boat, and the first thing they do is start singing about going yeah. going up and yeah. down through New York City. But they're not. But they're not sailors who are like, "Hey, boys, when we get out of the navy, we're going to be a singing trio." No, they're not. Yeah, they're yeah. not doing that. So now, I don't. Know, I gotta, don't quite understand your objection then to like is your objection, objection to is, Babes in Arms that they're they're performing on stage and performing uh, as as humans or, or what they're in the land of chocolate yeah. and they're trying to sell chocolate that's my problem they live in a world where people oh yeah but no 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 that's the thing though right is that they are they are different though because they are they are singers right they are they are performers they're they're the children of performers their their lives are about performance right but singing isn't what singing is in our universe Singing in our universe is something that I'm now going to sing. Yeah. I'm talking to you, Dave. Yeah. And now I'm going to sing a song. Sure. Well, I, and then I'd sing. And I've sang too much in this episode so far. I realize that. <laughs> I, I, I completely acknowledge that. And I'm sorry to everybody uh, who's had to listen to this. But you it's not, should apologize. It's not an involuntary reaction that if I get to a certain emotional point, I will sing. But in the reality of. No one will see me as singing when I'm at my emotional height where I'm going, if only I, my dream would come true, you know, and, and then and it's like, now I'm going to be a singer and then I'm singing a song. But when I'm singing over here with my emotions, then it's no one can see that I'm singing. It's just me talking, but they're seeing it as, you know, just talking, even though the mm. audience out there is seeing it as singing. Yeah. But, but when I actually step over here and go, and now I'm going to sing a song and then you start singing a song. And now, oh, now he is singing a song in this reality. There's two different types of singing, and it becomes very confusing. That makes no sense to me. I guess it doesn't really bother me. I'm thinking. Okay, okay, how about this? A movie like Kiss, a... Kiss Me, Kate, where you have you know the musical the musical play and also the people singing off stage as well. How about how about this then? Mm-hmm. How about if it was a uh, a movie like say Kung Fu Hustle? So it's Kung Fu Hustle, yep. and it's it's the reality of. All these people around here are fighting with extreme, you know, fisticuffs and doing amazing things. Yeah, yeah. Twister punches and shit. <laughs> and then one of them is like, I'm going to be a boxer. <laughs> and it's like, okay. And then they go into the boxing. And then when we see them boxing, they're boxing. And everyone's like, wow, that guy can really fight. <laughs> it's like, well, did we not acknowledge that everyone here can fight? And this is a reality of hyperviolence? Yeah. Like, it's just like, well, what, what's the reality here? That's what it feels like to me. Okay. It feels so, like you step so then, on stage and do something that yeah, is but then, natural. Then you don't like singing in the rain then. And that's that's no good. That's not a good attitude. Smart, singing, smarten up. I say singing in the rain. Is it both people who perform? Well, yeah, they perform. No, They're singing no, on Vaudway's no, stage. No, I justify singing in the rain because first scene you have <laughs> Is you know them going up to Gene Kelly yeah. in the uh, you know the paparazzi around and yeah. and I don't remember what his name is in the, in the in the movie but they 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 talk to him about like and so what was it like you know starting out 
And it's like, we had one rule, dignity, always <laughs> dignity. So he is the false narrator. He is the bullshit narrator. So what you're seeing is what he's telling people, yeah. and he is telling people it in this exaggerated musical style. Yeah. Nothing he is saying is anything that happened. You're just hearing what he's, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're just hearing what his perspective on it yeah. is, and he's selling it as a musical because he is a song and dance man. Sure. So that is how it's so you, It's like so you El said, Manuel you, Miranda is telling you, hey, yeah. what was it? El Manuel Miranda, what was it like growing up when you were a kid? Let me tell you. When the streets are hot and popping and doffing. And it's like, okay, well, he read But he's telling you this. And so we're going to see that. Uh-huh. Yeah, by the way, we should start the show at some point. That's just, that's just the one. That's just the one. Uh... That's just the one sequence. So, like the rest of the movie has them, like you know, like Debbie Reynolds and, and Gene Kelly's characters sing. Don Don Lamont, that's his name, right? Singing. Oh no, no, Don. No, Lena Lamont is the the is the uh, the 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 uh, Gene Hagen character. Uh, he's Don. Ah, anyway. Um, yeah, I can't remember. So sorry. So there's okay. a scene where like they're singing in the in the you know they're singing in the studio right where he's singing to her. Uh, again, yeah, Don Lockwood. This, Don Lockwood, very good, nice, nice recall. Right. And uh, yeah, and he's singing to her in the in the uh, on the set, you know, and you get that beautiful background that it's just just a effect of the lighting and stuff like that. But I'm, I don't know, I I don't those things. I just don't sweat all that stuff. Obviously, no, you, you it's fine. It's just reality. Reality is wrong. <laughs> That's fine. And again, I've been in me. more than my share of musicals. I don't I don't hold them a, to that standard. Yeah, it's just a weird world to me. Like, if, if if you live in a world, if the sound of music world is one where people burst into songs, yeah, uh, which you know what, I will give you this. Um, if you're going with the Nazi uh, singing is you're 16 going on 17, yeah, that does sound like that's just music is is starting. Mm-hmm. Where I would go with that is he can <laughs> sing <laughs> okay. as long as he's not a Nazi. Because he's not quite a Nazi yet, but the second he the second he blows that whistle and rats them out, yeah, never sing again. That that fucker ain't singing no more. Forget <laughs> it. That's the only thing in that movie I would say sounds like. Well, no, now I'm thinking of the head nun. She sings that damn song to her. Yeah, ah, screw it. Yeah. yeah, they live in that twisty world. <laughs> but you it's not. It's not a problem. But anyway, yeah, it's a fucked up world. I mean, you're just no making sense. it. A, you're just making it a problem. If a, listen, if a, if you're a nun, a if yeah. a nun, yeah. Can sing a lovely yeah. song to, and she's the most uptight person in the world. That that head nun, Mother Superior, uh, and she jumped the gun. Um, but he, <laughs> if she's if she's you know can sing a beautiful song, then when the kids are in a singing contest, well, what the hell? You know, would someone turn to another person and go, "They are amazing"? I know they're opening my heart, and then they then they're gonna get the whole audience singing. And also, how can you have? So one side of the war is singing and the Nazis can't sing. I don't. I don't know. It's just they're singing. They're just singing different music that we don't want to hear. Yeah, they they're singing songs from cabaret. <laughs> I think they're singing Wagnerian. Uh, yeah, tomorrow cycles. belongs to me. Yeah. All right. And by the way, I, 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 I realize stuff. we've got musical theater fans that listen to this show mm-hmm. who are who through this whole thing have been going, yeah, but what about that song? <laughs> yes, I, and I don't blame I've them. I've been wrong about most of this, and I do apologize <laughs> to everyone involved. It's a mess. Anyway, let's start the show.
Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Sneaky Dragon. My name is David Dedrick. And I'm Ian Boothby. And thank you for joining us post-in-media rest, which is how we started the show as usual, it seems, these days. Because Ian and I are so eager to talk to each other, we just start blabbing right away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know something I didn't realize? Again, I just pulled up the Singing in the Rain. First of all, Singing in the Rain is one of my favorite movies. Um, I agree with you. Singing in the Rain, yeah, page on Wikipedia. I didn't realize Rita Moreno was in it. In Singing in the Rain? Yes, sir. And she has a great name. She plays Zelda Zanders, the Zip Girl. And Singing in the Rain. Wow. Well, I guess that's, rain, yeah. that's a bit, that's a later movie than you think. It's like 50 something, right? 52. 52. I was going to say 53, but then I chickened out. Oh, um, you were wrong. You would have been very wrong. So she must, she must have been pretty young when she did that role though. Cause she, she's in a West Side Story as well. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. She's also in Carnal Knowledge. She's also in the Muppet uh, show. <laughs> I love that one. Oh, fever. Oh, that, that pays off every time. Yeah, it's great. She's uh, she's she's really really solid. It's weird sometimes, like because I have been watching some of these Muppet shows, mm-hmm. and and occasionally you get someone like her that just locks in with the Muppets. And yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we're now we're cooking yeah. with gas. And then other times you have someone and just go, oh, you forgot they were in the show almost for a while. <laughs> and at the end they're going, thanks for our special guest. Oh, I wonder if they got paid the same as the other people who <laughs> did, did a lot of stuff. Well, yeah. Rita, Rita, Rita Moreno is like a. You know, she's got a lot of tools in her belt, you know, like she can do, mm-hmm. she can do music, she can do drama, she can do comedy, she can do whatever you want. She can, she can do it. Voice acting. You I know, assume so. they would hang out at uh, children's television workshop parties, the Muppets and her, Muppets and they and probably her. would have known each other from there anyway. Okay. As well. Okay. Yeah. Was she on Sesame Street a lot? No, oh, she was in electric, electric company. Yeah, electric company. Okay. Which was also by the children's television workshop. Oh, okay. Okay. But did that sh- I don't remember Electric Company having having puppet characters on it though. No, not, but they not were Muppets, both though, produced okay. by they were both like, you know, created by the children's television workshop. Yeah, so yeah. I assume there was some crossover or when there was a party at PBS, there'd be some Muppets there. <laughs> but, and not, okay. but here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Muppets don't the like the people who do the Muppets, I don't think they're gonna be bringing their Muppets to the party. Like, I, I don't. I don't either, Dave. But here's the thing. Here's the other thing. Okay. When Rita's performing with the Muppets, yeah. she's still got the humans below her. Yeah, okay. I'm saying those humans okay. showed up to she, the party. She knows That's those people. Really okay, I see what you're saying. She knows those people. Okay, yeah, you kept calling them. People. You kept calling them Muppets, so you confused me. You meant Muppeteers. Uh, well, yes, and with Muppets, I don't know. Maybe they brought the Muppets. <laughs> That's Who right. Knows? Maybe you know. And in fact, the Muppets are inside them the whole time. <laughs> I can just imagine now that uh, I can't remember his name now, but he'll just wear his Big Bird costume and just show up dressed as Oh Carol's uh, Sp- Spinny. Carol Spinny, yes, Carol's yeah, Spinney, yeah. yeah. Because it would, of course it'd be Big Bird because he just can't be dragging a garbage can around all over the place. So of course not. That'd be ridiculous. He has to dress as a bird for some dignity. <laughs> <laughs> well, as a bird, he can have a tie. Well, as a bird, he can drive his car there. He says, dignity, always dignity. That's right. Dignity, always dignity. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So aside, was the Children's Television Workshop, did they only do uh, Sesame Street and Electric Company? Was that it? You got me. Yeah, I got myself too, and I, <laughs> I, I really don't know. I don't know. Did they do uh, Mr. Rogers? No, I don't think so. I don't remember that at the end of it. And plus, it's produced in a different place because I think Mr. Rogers, according to the movie, is like in Pittsburgh or someplace like that, right? Yeah. The guy has to go to Pittsburgh, which, by the way, in that movie about Mr. Rogers, whatever that movie is called, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Yeah. <laughs> is that what it's called? Oh. Yeah. Uh, 
what's um what's interesting is that um what was I going to say? Oh, is the it makes the it makes uh, Pittsburgh look really nice. If that's Pittsburgh. Because <laughs> oh, in my mind, right? in my mind, Pittsburgh is like <laughs> the steel town. Well, you think the name the name sounds like it's the pits. It sounds like it's the pits. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like sounds like in a cartoon it would be where it would be the bad town. Yeah, it would be it would be Stinkburg. It'd but be Pittsburgh. Yes, it's not just Pittsburgh. It's called the Steel Town, right? Like it's where the the Pittsburgh Steelers are from. And so I just picture it being like this place full of like smelting and metal, like places refining metal, and and it's just like a giant ball of smoke. It's is this where Pittsburgh? Then you is see this the where movie. Flash dance happened. Sorry, what? What? Flash dance? It, yeah, because she's a Steel Town girl on a Saturday night looking for the fight of her life. So could, I'm just thinking. could very well be. Could very well be. Very good. All right. Could very well be. And continue with your point, sir. Sorry. Oh, it's just that, you know, and then when they show, which, you know, I guess it's not that hard to make a city look nice. They even make Boston look nice. Boom! Boston, take it. The, uh, they, you know, it just, it looks nice because it's got that, like, that, that twin rivers or whatever. Like, they're kind of, it's it kind of, they, I don't know how to describe it. Anyway, it's nice. Look nice. And I thought to and myself, way, I'd I, visit that city. Okay. I don't know what's there. I don't even know if it's well, inter- it interesting, the, but it, now I will. Now it is the home of Flashdance. I know you're a big Flashdance fan. You know, and yes, indeed, I am a fan of women dancing with welding masks on. Mm-hmm. That's a, I saw that movie in the theater. That's how uh, much I like musicals. <laughs> I I did not. Oh, this is weird. That was it was produced by Jerry Bruckheimer oh. and Don Simpson. There you go. That is very. So weird. you know one oh. thi- you know one thing about that. There was a lot of cocaine. Mm. It, did, uh, it didn't hurt. It did. It did eventually hurt. <laughs> it did hurt. Wait. It did it eventually hurt. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Didn't here's Don the deal. Simpson, he just died from it. Anyway, go on. Here's the deal with uh, Children's Television Workshop. Sure. Um, 1971. Yeah. It started uh, doing adult, uh, an adult show. Oh. It had a hard time getting this going. Because but it, uh, it, 71, it hosted a show called Feeling Good uh, with Dick Cavett for adults. Which was uh, about uh, uh, medical uh, issues in education, and that went to '74, three years running. That show. Oh, well, that's not bad. Yeah, and it was uh, according to people involved. It lacked a clear direction. Never found an audience, but it, they did it. <laughs> Stretched it out for three years. I guess that was the magic of being on uh, public broadcasting: is that you you had a longer leash to hang yourself with. And then I in I, the I thought eight- it mixed the metaphor there. Yeah, no, well done. And then in the 80s, uh, it did a show called, which I remember, called 321 Contact. Yep. That was uh, pretty pretty popular. But and guy, also, a person who, who an ophthalmologist? Uh, uh, no, oh, not at all. Sorry, I get mixed uh, up. And uh, which, which also on there had the Bloodhound Gang. Uh, there was like a mystery solving group. Hmm. Uh, and then they did a show called uh, uh, Square One Television. Which was math and science, and I remember that. That was actually pretty good. I remember that that show was all right. Huh. And then they kind of wrapped it up. It looks like yeah, they did some stuff with Ralph Nader as well. Uh, but yeah, then they I think I don't I don't know who owns Sesame Street now. The children, well, HBO, the children's television uh, workshop. They ran Ralph Nader as the uh, as a progressive alternative. <laughs> yeah, that was a big mistake. And then Oscar won the election. It was like, well, who's going to vote for Oscar? Well, apparently, there's a lot of monsters, and they don't like the way things are running. <laughs> he really he really struck a chord with the Grouch vote. Yeah, there was a bunch of Grouches out there. You were surprised. 
<laughs> Mr. Snuffleupagus uh, admitted he voted for him. Yeah. I just wanted to see what would happen. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's irresponsible voting. And also, I still think you're imaginary. I don't care if I can see you. I still don't buy that. It just, it just becomes gaslighting at that point. Well, now here's another weird thing. Okay. So uh, we just mentioned Flashdance. Yes. All right. You, I hope you have a dog back there. I do. Otherwise... We our, our, our neighbors to our, if you're sitting in our house looking north, our neighbors to our, our left just got a puppy dog. His name, oh, is, his name is Finn. And he is, uh, I think he is, oh, now, now that's someone on, that's someone on, on uh, I think Mary is uh, taking down her bird feeders right now. So <laughs> there's some clinking going on upstairs above us. And then that's what's setting off Finn, our, uh, the puppy next door. He's he's uh, telling Mary she should come over and play. Aww. Just just so you know, all that barking also involves incredible tail wagging. But yeah, he's an Australian Shepherd, so he's one of those cute dogs with their like very nice blue eyes and they're quite a nice color. That's sort of mottled with the white, black, and brown. He's a real cutie. Oh, that does sound like a cutie. Yeah, he's real nice. Um, they had a dog like him before that that um. They kind of adopted. He just sort of showed up at a place where my neighbor, the the man, the male neighbor next door, he passed away last year. But um, he was had a he had a woodwork shop, and this dog just showed up one day and didn't leave, and so that he became their family pet. And so then I guess she decided to uh, get a dog, and she'd wanted the same kind. So there you go. Well, glad to have the dog on the show. Uh, yes, it's very nice of him to show up. It's nice. We haven't had a guest for a long time, and so that is a, that is a nice <laughs> And what's, nice also, what's also nice in our neighborhood is that, speaking of grouches, the neighbor behind us, who was, was a nice, nicest, nicest lady, but she was a real dog grouch, and she did not like dogs barking. And mm. so we would always get comments about our dogs barking. And so both of our dogs have been like uh, untowardly silenced in their barking, which I don't think dogs should be made to not bark because that's part of their language and so i never liked that and she'd always be yelling at her dog to not bark and i, I just think that's you know like you don't want a dog that's barking all the time but when a dog yeah, decides you don't, to don't want barking all night long yeah yeah or something. but when they just want to let loose a little bit for a while and let the neighborhood know they're outside then go for it dog your dog i like and i especially like when all the dogs start barking together <laughs> i think that's really fun yeah, and you know they're saying revolution, 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 <laughs> and then one goes later, 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 later. <laughs> That's right. Like, thank you. And when the alpha dog finally goes revolution, then oh boy, oh boy, it's all gonna be. Just gotta get. You have to get a few uh, fifth. A fi- uh, what do they call a something element? The or anyway, it doesn't matter. Third rail in there yeah. saying, uh, you know, dog biscuits, dog biscuits, dog biscuits. Um, dog yeah, biscuits. this is gonna be an episode of my new TV series, uh, Bark Mirror. <laughs> It's like Black Mirror, but all dog-related things. How about Bark Shadows? Well, we can get to that later. <laughs> that, does sound, that does sound good. So it would be uh, Barkabus Collins? <laughs> That's right. He's a vampire dog. Oh, now, you, now you've sold me on this. <laughs> I was fine with Barkabus, but yeah. Okay, let me throw this trivia out at you real fast because oh, it's okay. floating there and i got to say it. Okay. Um, so we were talking about Flashdance for just a second. Sure, we and were. Flashdance, of course. I don't think I was, we were talking about it long enough to involve trivia, but hey, throw it at me. Well, I I, I said I said lyrics from the song. Okay, oh, okay, that's true. You did you flash did. dance. What a feeling! Yeah, that song was uh, was sung by and co-written by uh, Irene Cara. Irene Cara. Yeah. Who used to be on what television series? Fame. It wasn't Fame. Oh, it wasn't Fame. Not, oh shoot, okay. not Fame. Nope. Okay. But it's one we've mentioned on this show today. <laughs> oh really? Yes. 
oh my god, well, how can I, how can I possibly remember a show that we mentioned on the show today that, uh, it wasn't one, two, three contact, was it? It was not. It was Electric <laughs> Company. She was what? one of the singers on uh, members of the Short Circus. Oh my little, gosh. Uh, little group of kids that would oh, uh, jump around and sing. That's fantastic. Yeah. Huh. I didn't know that. And then I looked at the Short Circus cast members and was like, no. Yeah. Hey. Nice. That's great. Yeah, it's pretty, it pretty great. That is great. Good for her. Yeah. It wasn't the best part of the show. Best part of the show, of course. Well, Spider-Man was pretty good. But the best part of the show was The Adventures of Letterman. Yes. Yeah, so good. With Name the Voices. Who was the narrator? Oh, well, Mel Brooks was one of them, right? No. Was it Mel Brooks? It no, it was not Mel Brooks. No. Oh, okay, makes good guess, my friend. Uh, Mel Brooks did do some stuff for, for them, but uh, for uh, Electric you know, Company. Okay, but, uh, so... Uh, it was a comedian was the narrator. Yeah, yeah. A oh, it's been a long time since I saw that. Boy. Huh, who was it? Who was it? It was Joan Rivers. Oh, Joan Rivers was the narrator. Yep. That's great. And Letterman yeah. was Gene yeah. Wilder. Okay, good. And like Spellbinder, the villain, uh, was Zero Mostel. Great, great. Good group. That's great. Well, it's just great. It's like a nice New York grouping of voices, you know? Like, Yep. That's fantastic. Huh. Great. Love it. I'm all for it. Yeah, I mean, just, well, I guess because you could, like, cut. You could like sell it as educational to the to them, and so they'd be like, you know, you know, helping the kids out and stuff like that. They'd be like, hey, that sounds great. We'll throw our voices at this. I doubt there was much pay in it, but you know, I don't know. You know, for there, a lifetime there... of of children remembering your voice, that's except for me. I wonder if there was good pay in it. I doubt you know? that very much. Well, I don't know why. And again, tough to bring him up now, but why Bill Cosby would be doing the show if there wasn't some dough floating around? I think it was. I think he. This, you know, I think he just wanted to take part. Like, you know, like they're selling it as like an educational thing that would be fun for kids, help them right. to read, you know, and they wanted to have. And so, you know, they're selling to Bill Cosby, you know, you're black, we'll get kids, you know, kids, inner city kids, you're, you know, don't have the, the educational opportunities of other kids. We'll have a chance, you know, to help them to learn and blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, it's it's a win. See, it's I, a win -win I wonder, I think like when you're around that time period, yeah. if you saw how much they got paid, you'd go like, yeah, it's not that much. And then you go, by the way, just out of curiosity, and I'm just going to throw this out here. How much is a house? Yeah. What? Yeah. It's that much? So they could just buy a house. Yeah. Okay. So they could live fairly large. Yeah. You know, uh, in a way they couldn't now for the amount that you would think that they would get. Sure. But back then, you could get paid, that's uh, eh, okay, money, and mm -hmm. you could live pretty, pretty darn good, I would say. Yeah. I'm just going to point out that uh, besides Bill Cosby, I think the other actors you mentioned, you know... We're Rita doing, Moreno? We're doing, oh, not Rita Moreno, but, uh, well, even Rita Moreno, like, you know, she, like, I doubt there is that much time spent on that, uh, doing that. Well, doing Bill that Cosby's coming off of, he had I Spy. Yeah. You know, and then but that was like mid-60s. Okay, but we're, we're like, uh, what are we, 1971 when this starts? I don't think it's so, that early. I think, I think, to me, Electric Company was a little later. Let me take a look and I'll tell you, 1971. Wow, okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So you got Bill Cosby, who's coming off of I Spy. Then he did the Bill Cosby show for a couple of years. Yeah. Then he did Fat Albert, which started like exactly that same time. Okay. All right. Marita Moreno. Uh, yeah. I mean, she's known then for known for Singing in the Rain. Not really. Not around here. <laughs> um, what? She's in Singing in the Rain? 
But yeah, she's known West Side Story and and what have you. But yeah, I'm trying she, to think if she had a regular gig. She was around. a working. She was a working actress. You know, took jobs where she could get them. She was she was uh, regular on the Rockford Files at that time. She uh, well, you know, Rockford she, Files was in '71. Oh, she was in Carnal Knowledge in '71. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And uh, oh, I don't know other stuff. But it's not you know her role in that is like a Last of the Red minor. Hot Lovers. She was in. Yeah. Uh, but know, I mean, she wasn't a she wasn't a feature actor in no. those things. So she's just a she's a character or a bit. She had a she speaking role. Do, she did do a movie with James Garner though in '69. Oh, was it one of those support your local sheriff kind of ones? Or it was uh, Marlowe. Oh, Marlowe. Oh, okay, that's a good one. I think that one has Bruce Lee in it. You know, it does. Yeah, yeah, he has a good role in it. Bruce Lee and Jackie Coogan. Don't remember Jackie Coogan in it, but I, yeah, I think I saw that movie. I saw it with David, David M. And I think I saw it around the time that I was just discovering I had cancer. That's what I remember from that time period, watching a couple of movies are, that I watched. Are you, saying, are you saying this is the movie that gave you cancer? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that it stands it in my mind. It sounds like you are. <laughs> That's a good I, lawsuit. I watched it and said, maybe this will be the last movie I ever watch. Oh, Jesus. Okay. And then when I saw the next movie, I'd be like, maybe this will be the last movie I ever watch. Oh, boy. <laughs> Turns out it wasn't. <laughs> how are you doing right now? Everything okay? You good? Well, I mean, I guess I could still say that every day if you really wanted to be, be uh, Yeah, I guess, morbid. I guess you could. We are in a pandemic. <laughs> Not, it's, just regular life. You, know, geez, yeah. you never so know. Th- things got bumped up today with the, uh, with the, uh, you know, uh, the vaccine. So Yeah, I saw a, that. I saw that. That's a nice thing. That's a nice thing. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so Lisa has moved up a little bit in the because uh, teachers are on are on uh, up next, I guess. Oh, and, and paramedics as well. So so um, Dun- Duncan Mary's boyfriend will also be able to get it. So they'll both be they'll both be uh, vaccinated. So they're all going to be like around you and looking real smug. Yeah, this this house is going to be super smug. Just even I'll be like the outsider. So they'll they'll be talking to each other, and then when even I walk up, they'll you know grow really quiet and and look away from us and. Yeah, and then they'll talking. they'll just uh, subtly rub their arms and go, "Oh, <laughs> does it sting a little bit? But it's worth it. Yeah. Oh, it's very worth it. I do it. Again. Oh, I will do it again. Oh my, yeah, so so far. So the this 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 uh, crew is getting the AstraZeneca. So I think that's just a one time deal, isn't it? I'm not. I'm Me not sure. Either I don't know anything about. And it. I know that it's. I think that's the one that's got like it's sixty four percent. You know uh, that you won't get it, yeah, but yeah. it's close to a hundred percent. If you get it, it's not going to really do you any damage. That's, yeah, that's, that's and that's a good. That's also really good, you know. And yeah. and as I said to someone at work, uh, something is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no symptoms. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. Take, I'm all I'll for that. that. Yeah, I like a I like a nice no symptom disease. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if you have to have it, I mean, the problem, of course, is then then you are a carrier, but then you don't Absolutely. know it. But if everyone else is vaccinated, hint, hint, then they don't have to worry. Yeah, that's the thing. Exactly. What I'm saying and is, don't be a dum dum. Don't be a dum dum and get your jabs. I know. I was like, I wish, I wish that you got the shot in the butt because then you can go. <laughs> don't be a dum dum. Get it in your bum bum. You know, it, it would be. Wait, no, no, you still got You got incorporate jab in there. So don't be a dum dum. Get jabbed in the bum bum. Okay. There you go. You get. You're covering all the bases there. Get yourself a jab, then go have a tab. <laughs> what? And then you get tab to sponsor. <laughs> oh, okay. They're they're still around. Uh, are they? No. Uh, they think they might be. Really? I oh, I guess know. they are because they're just like Pepsi, right? 
I don't know if Tab is still around. What does Pepsi care? Like, they can just produce that on the side and fill some shelf space and push other smaller boutique brands off the shelves. So, of course, Tab's still around. I think the I think it was a big missed opportunity for Tab when the Batman movie came out and they didn't just, like, you know, Tab's backwards as Bat. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, it's the secret Batman drink that he drinks because he's Batman. They can't tell anybody. There's, and then, like, he nothing- holds his... There's nothing consumers like more than word games. Yeah, then he holds it up to a mirror and you go, "Ooh, I get it." <laughs> and then, and then whatever the alternate drink is, like their rival, you show the Joker drinking it while killing somebody. Mm. I'm like, I like it. That's, that's the bad guy drink. We don't want that. Is it still around? It has discontinued oh. as of at the end of 2020. Well, then I was I, I've still seen it. Then it's still it's still for sale. It's yeah, it's it's aging rapidly in <laughs> it's, it's, it's in uh, fridges yeah. uh, places. Um, and, and there was a brief time, Dave. By the way, uh, yeah. I know that most of our show is talking about old chocolate bars. Yep. Um, uh, and I know we've been called out on that by our friend Nina, and it's. Uh, it's cruel, but it's fair. <laughs> and occasionally we'll go to, we'll start listing flavors of soda pop. And uh, that's what I'm going to do right now. So in the 70s, yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, Tab is owned by Coca-Cola, not Pepsi. Oh, I apologize. No problem I apologize at all. to Tab, and I apologize to PepsiCo. There were six flavors of Tab. Six flavors of Tab. Oh, boy. Yeah, so cherry, I guess. Cherry would have to be one of them. Cherry, oh, well, black cherry is one of them. That's right. Aside from regular tab. Yeah. So there's seven in total. Oh. So black cherry. Black Hit cherry. me with the rest, bro. <laughs> was there a lime? There was a lemon lime. I'll give you that one. All Go right. for it. What else, man? <laughs> oh, wait. Okay. So these aren't like flavored Cokes. They're like. No, no, no. So they there's... are flavors of tab as in like. Their oh, okay. Own... Was there a root uh, beer tab? Yes, sir. Okay. There sure as shit is. Yes. <laughs> I think don't know if it's one of them you're anyway. never gonna get because it's not a flavor that you know. Okay. Uh um what okay, is there uh is there an orange tab? Yes, sir. Okay. Two remaining. Two remaining. Oh my goodness. Was there a grape tab? No, though there should have been. There, there should have been should be obvious thing. Yeah, there should have been, but there I mean, was not. If Nehi has grape flavor, why wouldn't tab? Maybe because Nehi had it. Oh, that's true. You don't want to copy knee high. Nope. Um, now, let's see. I know this is exciting for everyone else. I'm trying to think of, like, not a flavor. Why, why would they have that? Uh, did they have, like, a ginger ale? Yes. Oh. You have one remaining. Okay. <laughs> and I'd say it's a flavor. Listen, yeah. there's nothing terrible about this flavor. Yeah. But it's not a flavor that you ever go, like, hey, um, you getting a soda? Get me a blank flavored soda. You would never say that to a person. Okay. It would make no sense to do this. Okay. Oh. And it's not it's not pineapple. Oh yeah. <laughs> we don't have, let's not get into that controversy again. The pineapple pineapple lovers out there. Um how about strawberry? Oh my god, you got it. Nailed it. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. You got six for six. Even the one you well, was the ginger ale the one you thought was obscure? No, I thought strawberry. Oh, okay. Okay. You I, never go. Hey, getting a getting a soda? No, no. Get me a strawberry soda. No. I was never. gonna I was gonna guess strawberry before you gave me that that hint. It's kind of funny. Mm. Nope. I mean, we've and, done, maybe uh, we've done this before. And brief, <laughs> and briefly, possibly, yeah. we're we're in a, a loop. Yeah. In uh, in the nineties, they had a tab clear. 
Tab clear. Okay. Yep. Makes sense. And, and uh, sure. the most recent new thing Tab came out with, I believe, was uh, Tab Energy. Mm, okay. Caffeinated. Uh, it was sweetened uh, with uh, sucralose and had a sour tart flavor. Oh. Yeah. That's Isn't that normal to that, yeah. with the sweeteners? I don't, I don't know their fucking business. <laughs> I just meant all... I, just, I find all sweeteners aren't that sweet, but... Meh. Did you say meh? There you go. Did you say meh? meh. Yeah. I go meh. Yeah. I don't know. I used to pop um, saccharin tablets when I was a little kid. Oh, okay. So you like it. My grandfather had... I don't know. I, I, I also used to eat MSG like raw out of the package. Hmm. So I don't know what was wrong with me. <laughs> I were... crack open a, a big thing of... Um, uh, uh, like Kool Aid powder yeah. and just arr, what arr. without the without the sugar in it? Just eat it. Oh, no, well, it was the sugared one. Okay, just, okay, because that yeah. is the unsugared one. That is, ugh, boy. Yeah, until I I'd lay on the floor with like a screaming headache, <laughs> but I'd still want more. <laughs> I briefly bought Kool Aid again when the girls were little, but I gotta say that nothing makes you feel guiltier as a as a parent than putting two heaping cups of sugar into a drink you're making for your for your daughters. <laughs> It what is, if you just put one in there? What happens then? It's not. It's yeah, forget about it. I Might mean, as well just give them water. Huh. It's okay. it's not. It's a sour. It doesn't do anything because it has to it has to counteract counteract the 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 coloring flavor, the coloring things, right? Like it's and the and the artificial flavor, I guess, is what it adds. Like it adds the color and adds artificial flavor to it with, okay. with the powder. But okay. you need to like you need to kind of overwhelm the the powder with with the sugar. But it's weird because as a kid, I I drank you know we drank a lot of kool-aid and and then of course as i got older i stopped and then when the girls were little you know it just seemed like oh well this i enjoyed this when i was a kid and i'm sure the girls will enjoy it you know and so you buy it and then you bring it home and you buy five packets of this stuff and then you make it and you're 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 making you realize my god there's this is a lot of sugar like i mean maybe there's a lot of sugar in in, uh, pop let's say but you don't see it you don't see it yeah but but the thing is they they would imply in the commercials yeah and mom because dad's not making you kool-aid dad's doing dad shit mom mom you can control the sugar (laughs) mom it's up to you you can make it sour and sad yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah so but the thing is is like like i was treating the kool-aid like it was a juice and i wouldn't do that with pop like i you know, we didn't. We've we've even to this day, we'd never have pop in the house. Mm-hmm. Like, we'll if we're having like people over, like for a party or something, then we'll buy pop and it, it'll be in the house. But we don't keep it in the fridge as a, like a normal thing to like go downstairs and just grab a pop out of the fridge. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I would. You know, like so making Kool Aid. You know, you're just kind of like, well, maybe I'll go back to juice. And I know juice has sugar in it too, but it feels That's like the thing. then you go down that rabbit hole. It's like. a different sugar, though, right? It's it's it's. You know, it's not it's not just uh, processed sugar put into it like you're dumping into a into a into a bucket of water. It's uh, you know, it's like I assume some some art added some added sugar perhaps, and then also but also the natural sugar occurring in the in the fruits, which I'm less less worried about. You know. Well, here's the thing. I know you just earlier said you're going to get the vaccine, so you've drank the Kool Aid. All right. That's clear. Right? Sound like an anti-masker over here. Yeah, well, I thought I'd just come out. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Finally reveal who I, I, I am. I think I'm going to give it a couple of days just to see what it's like. Okay. okay. Good. Why well, not? You know, you'll never feel like you know more than you do as an anti-masker. So it's uh, enjoy it while it lasts. 
Yeah, it's it, it'd just be nice to go out to the streets of people who are a little nervous and go, you idiots. <laughs> yeah, idiots. Yeah, oh, no. And then I'll turn to the guys like shouting Bible stuff on the corner and go, right. These guys know what I'm talking about. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, it's been, it's um, as usual, uh, religion, like uh, religion embarrasses itself during moments like this. It's really... As always, it's great. It's great having those churches suing the government to try to, to, you know, so they can open up. Yeah, I assume. I assume yours is not doing that. No, no, ours is. You know, our congregation, like you know, we can't afford to lose anyone. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if you do, like, imagine you sued to open up, mm. and then a couple of people, even one person dies, you do, you just go like, huh? Is that like, what do you say? What do you say? It like. Yeah. You know, well, That's we're going to really miss. Oh, then uh, you say, patient. then you say, you shrug and you go, I guess God called them home. Well, don't take the call. That's <laughs> my advice. Yeah, put let that off. Go to voicemail. Put that off, folks. Um, no, yeah. In fact, we, we shut down before the general shutdown of the province. The church, our bishop, you know, ordered all the churches to close. And, you know, there was some some thought of like trying to do it. Uh, smaller groups and things like that, but sure. And I think they there is like a Wednesday group that meets uh for like a socially distant one on on Wednesday nights. But a, I'm not going to church on a Wednesday night. You know, fuck that shit. And also, I don't. You know, I want a specific experience from church. I don't want like some sort of like bastardized, edited version of of the experience. And I know we're going to get that even when we go back because we're not we're not going to be allowed to sing right away. Mm-hmm. And that's although it's funny when I first started going to church, I went to I would go to one in Vancouver after work. I worked a graveyard shift, and I would go to the early morning service, which was a uh, a traditional service from the Book of Common Prayer, the original prayer book of the Anglican Church, and then it was a a morning prayer, so there was no sung service, and there were no songs in it. So it was just like zip. It just zipped by. You just did did your prayers. You did did the stuff, and then you're gone. And that was great, right? So then, then uh, when I started going to St. Dunstan's, and there was all this singing, and I was just I was thinking to myself, how how long are these services? What is going on? Like it's like a, a, over an hour long. Now I'm used to it. Now I kind of like it. But when I first first started going there, it was, it was a real cold shower. I was like, "What is? God? I want a half an hour service, people. I got stuff to do." I just remember being a kid and going to church, and like you're never more bored than you are at church, which is again amazing considering the subject matter should be pretty interesting. Um, and <laughs> well, it was one of those... I'd also find a way to to dull it down for you. Don't worry. Yeah, like honestly, when you get. What's the plot of the Bible? Well, it's the creation of the universe and setting a rule. And we, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like the Adam and Eve story. We're moving along. And it's like the story of King David. We're going on. And then we get the story of Jesus. And then it's like, oh my gosh, where does that go? It goes to this and that. Like, oh my gosh. And we're wrapping up with the book of Revelation if we go that far. Holy cow. And like, we're going to make that dull. How? How? <laughs> well, just watch us. There's a damn dragon rising out of the sea. How? How are you making me bored? How? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you killed the greatest man in the world, <laughs> who I love, and and he's come back from the dead. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. But then you, you once you you know once you know that you can't be constantly amazed at that, right? Like, well, how many times have you watched Singing in the Rain? 
<laughs> it's got better music. But the, uh, yeah, the, the um, you know, church, I don't know. Maybe it's just repetition. I have no idea. I think as adults, like, to be honest with you, like, as a choir member, I'm really lucky. Like, I have, I have my music in front of me. And then it's like I have scraps of paper and I just doodle <laughs> during the service. So I just doodle away and then I mean I'm listening. That's how I pay, that's how I listen anyway. I'm a doodler doodle listener. But if I wasn't do, if I like I often say to people, if I'm not doodling, I'm probably not listening to you. I'm probably mm-hmm. thinking of something else. Well, I wonder what I wonder what TV shows the children's television workshop produced. Um <laughs> So yeah, so I like to you know, so like this kind of help. And then and then when you're older, the sermon means more to you, you know, like you have more life experience that you can apply the lessons that are, are being attempted attempt to teach you. When you're a kid, you're just like, ugh, who cares? Be nice to people. Blah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, th- that tangents me as we, as we do. Oh, we, good. We do enjoy a tangent. I remember having uh, an argument with someone like there was a, a, it was a person that I used to know from a certain friend group. It was a friend group. And I knew this person in that friend group. Okay. And then, you know, I kind of grew away from that friend group. And then I started to date uh, the woman who would become my wife. Oh. And and it turned out she was friends with this one of the people from the friend group. Uh-huh. Well, that's nice. But I think that uh, this person still didn't like me because I left that other friend group. Uh-huh. So there was a lot of snark, a lot of snark there. <laughs> um, and, uh, and at one point, uh, we're having a conversation and I'm I'm writing something on a piece of paper while I'm talking to him. I'm not looking at the piece of paper. Yeah. I've got it off to the side and I'm writing it down. He went, Oh, where are you writing down on a, on a piece of paper? Oh, I just thought of a a, a joke and so I got to write it down. He went, Oh, that's very rude that you would do that while we're having a conversation. I'm like, Well, otherwise I would forget the joke, you know. So I would, yeah. what I would then, if I had to, and I don't want to. I would stop this conversation cold because <laughs> I write jokes. So I'm going to have to go over here and just write a joke. But there's no reason for me to do that. I can write it without even, you know. Yeah. So is it based on something that I said? Yeah. Yeah. That If I'm being at that, that point, I was just like, I'm just going to be honest about this. Yeah. It's, what was it? Well, you wouldn't get it uh, because, you know, it was something that triggered another thing. That I thought of, you know, you said something which reminded me of something which reminded me of something, and then I wrote this thing down over here. Yeah, yeah. So, but this is what I do, and then I just I said to them, "Look, this is what I do. I write stuff down all day. So if this bothers you, and I understand that it could bother you, eh, there you go." And then, uh, then he decided. Uh, I think the next thing he said to me was, "Oh, well, uh, by the way, we're nudists at this house, and if that bothers you, you should probably leave." <laughs> Whoa! Passive aggressive, much? Yeah, it was that. So anyway, there's some. Then he went and had like a naked hot tub upstairs with some people. Blech. Uh And uh, yeah, it's like, uh, but they weren't really. Most people weren't really into it. Uh, it was an odd. It was an odd thing. It was fine. It was a power move. And I was like, okay, but yeah, it really bothered him that I was like writing something down, and I could see why that would be. Like if 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 I could see if I'm talking to someone. And they go, ooh, and then they just write something down, <laughs> put it in their pocket. I can see how that would be a bit bothersome, but yeah. I can't help it, man. This is what I do. I have to I have to write an idea down if I have an idea. I can't not do that. Sorry. <laughs> I'll just like go, party's over for me. Bye. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, that's a very off. that's a very odd thing. He uh, also, especially to uh, demand that much attention. But obviously this person was an attention seeker. They were a nudist. 
Well, they were, yeah. The thing, the thing was, and they're they're a nice enough person generally, sure. I guess. Sure. But it's it's one of these things where, like, you know, I knew there was going to be a problem because we were playing a game of like you don't know Jack. We're playing one of those games. Okay. Like a computer yeah, 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 yeah. And they really wanted to win. Mm. Oh, they wanted to win so much, and I was winning, and it bothered them, and so I tried to win more. Oh, really? Because fuck it. No, no, you're right. You're right. One time when I was a teenager, I, I, I met a met a person at school, and I thought, well, this is a likely friend, so I invited their, them over to my house to come play, and so he came over, and then I, I said, well, I've got some board games here. Would you like to play a board game? And he said, hey, let's play Risk, and I said, sure, I love playing Risk, and we set up the Risk game, and we started playing, and then he started to lose. And he was the worst loser I've ever met in my life. <laughs> At one point in the game, he threw my dice, my game's dice, across the room of my parents' house and struck the wall. And I was like, well, I'm not impressed by this, but because you're a very poor loser. But then I started feeling sorry for this person. Wait, did he strike the wall of your parents' house? Yes, with the dice. <laughs> oh, with the dice. No, yeah, yeah. And then he yeah, no, no, he didn't go and punch it. He didn't punch the wall. No, okay, no, no. All right. No, no, no. Very good. Uh, you know, he was just, just being a terrible, terrible loser. And But then I started feeling sorry for him. Because I'm an empathetic person and a bit of a softy, obviously. And so I thought I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to take the bullet here. I'm going to lose this game so he won't feel so bad. Because obviously I'm way less invested in this than he is. And so I made like what I thought was the most obvious blunder of all times. But no, he didn't see that blunder at all. He started – not only was he a poor – loser he was an even worse winner yeah he just started like crowing and making yeah. fun of me for losing this game when i've been so far ahead and blah 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 and i was seething inside i didn't give it away that i was seething but after that that game i resolved to myself to never ever in my life ever throw a game but because i feel sorry for the person losing yeah. it will always be a mistake <laughs> almost, and i would whenever i would do improv yeah. I, I mean, I don't care about winning anything. And sometimes it was competitive improv. I would not care about winning. Like, I do my best, but I would yeah, not yeah. care. You, you, you're, still... competitive. you're competitive, but okay. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Um, I but... played video games with you. Oh, video games is a different situation. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. okay, fair enough. <laughs> but uh, because because video games, you want to win. Yeah, yeah. But like, I see, but, but you're like, saying like that... an acting thing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. The, if, you're, if you're doing what I did, which was theater sports yeah you're not supposed to really give a shit if you win it's not it's really like the sport. whole thing with whose line is it anyway it's like you know uh you know scores are made up and the points don't matter yes yeah. what yeah. they say and it's, that's true but sometimes you get someone who would really want to win <laughs> and, and, and when when that became apparent i would then really want to win okay like, oh we're oh we're playing are we are we really doing this all right then let's go and then it would be like I would I would then go hard. Then I would like I would try to win. You know, I had that I had that part of me go. I don't I don't care until the other person cares. And I'm like, oh okay, I can care. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, because you know if they do win, they're going to be a, like you say, they're going to be an ass about it. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, might as well win. Maybe that's a personality flaw on my on, on my thing. I can't. Oh uh, no, I, can't. I don't I don't think so. I think that's a healthy I think it's a healthy attitude actually. I think it's healthy if you are competitive. I don't think it's a, a healthy if you are. You know what I would think of as like a sore, sore loser or a or a bad bad winner. You know, someone who lures it over other people or someone who who loses loses their cool because they're, they're you know they're having having a bad game. Although I'm saying that I have thrown my shoe in a dumpster at work, uh, upset about a play. But in that case, in that case, I wasn't I wasn't mad at 
anyone else but myself, you know, because <laughs> I hold myself like old dumpster shoot. <laughs> that's right. And it's on video as well. That's the best part of it. One of the guys had set up <laughs> set up his phone to record us playing, and I just did like the most terrible play and i just was so mad i just took off my running shoe and i threw it away and it just happenstance of course it, it threw right and flew right into the dumpster <laughs> like, oops they're like okay let's hit the next one i'm like i can't because my shoe's in the dumpster <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean it wasn't but i wasn't mad we were, it's not that we were losing or anything it's just i was mad because i my play was so terrible and i was just getting frustrated at myself for for my my inept play because i i really don't care i mean you know i want to win but i'm not i'm you know, I'm not one of those people like there was a guy that we used to play spike ball with us and you know, the whole time he'd be, you know, mad at mad at you for not winning the game, you know, like the whole time. And I just remember him like, you know, Dave, you're killing me you know, and I'm like I don't you know, and once again I didn't say anything, but I'm thinking to myself, I'm I've got all the points in this game. I have I have served I have served all the winning points. You have made no points at all. <laughs> How You're can not I even making a point now? How how can I be killing you? But I didn't want to you know, I don't want to make a fuss. It's a work and you gotta work with people. You don't wanna I don't wanna have like bad blood, you know. So you're just like, uh-huh. Whatever. I mean, everyone else knows this is what you're saying is garbage, so that's fine. I'll just I'll take it. But yeah, it's um yeah, it's not something I wear. I don't I don't like playing with players who like get mad at you if you don't make a play or what you know, whatever. Like, you know, because it's forgetting the fact that you you know, five sets before that or the last five times you played i did make the play mm-hmm. and you didn't say anything about that why are you not getting mad at me for the one time i didn't you know like i, I just it just seems so hypocritical you know like uh and i feel that way at, at work when you get in trouble for you don't get in trouble but you know there's like a oh, an over exaggerated reaction to you making a mistake you know like say say someone left and you forgot to give them a, a part for their door you know and you come upstairs and you're like oh i made a mistake i forgot to give so-and-so this part, you know, and then the reaction is, oh, Dave, come on, now we got a phone, you know, and they get someone gets all mad and you're like, you know what? Everyone makes mistakes. Like, you can't lose it because yeah. I made one mistake. Like, the last four days, I have found mistakes in other things and corrected them. And let's let's remember those. Let's remember those happy times. Let's not, yeah. let's not concentrate now on this unfortunate mistake that I made that is going to kill me all day, by the way, and I'm probably going to think about it when I'm at home at, uh, tonight and also when I'm laying in bed. So, you know what? I'm going to beat myself up. You don't need to beat me up. I do that just fine on my own. I don't need any help. So, yeah, it's just, it kind of bugs me when that happens. Yeah, you kind of want to, like, take them aside and just go, who was mean to you? Like, what <laughs> happened? Did you have a coach that, like, called you maggot or something? Like, what? where's this from? Like, where's, you know, it's, it's okay. It's mm-hmm. all right. Fine. Yeah, there's a quiet whatever who's ever doing. Oh, maybe it was my own phone. Oh, what happened was I sent you a picture uh, via Twitter that someone uh, sent me. Oh, okay. And, uh, hey, are you writing notes while you're talking to me? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> uh, she, you in the dumpster thing was pretty funny uh, uh, and then every day he throws something else in the dumpster till the final day he just throws himself away and you know what aren't we all a lot like that sometimes <laughs> this is good for your, your will rogers act that's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's just i i know i do think i do think competitiveness is healthy though i think you yeah. know without that you don't strive to be better you know i mean no, maybe you could try but don't yeah try but don't mind yeah exactly that's care, that's good mind. care but don't mind exactly care 
care about, and then care about you. Don't worry about everyone else. You know, like you, you're the one you should be worrying about. Don't worry about your other teammates. They, they can take care of themselves. Yeah. It's a strange thing sometimes where I'll go onto a, another podcast and, what? Uh, and, oh, and then at the end, uh, yeah, just, my, my guy threw a shoe in a dumpster. So I'm going to work, try to get a backup plan. Um, uh, and he really loved that shoe. Um, my Walmart shoe. I'm worried. I'm next. <laughs> um, but where I'll, where I'll do a podcast and it'll be for someone kind of starting off new doing podcasts and then mm. afterwards they'll be like worried that it didn't go well or something or yeah, they, were, yeah. they made a mistake or this and just like what's the matter you're doing another one next week what's it matter just move on to the next one yep. and yeah and then you know it's a numbers game it's fine it'll be fine <laughs> keep going just keep going but you know, they, they they really, really care. Like, every one of them has to be moved. And same with stand-up. I remember all these stand-ups that, like, if they went and they didn't have a good set, they'd just be a huge mess at the end of the night. And it's just like, you're doing this again tomorrow. It's fine. It's okay. Just keep going. It's fine. Keep going. It's all right. Yeah, that's a good attitude. And, I, and it's something that you see in sports a lot, like, people who can have, like, totally dismal performances and yet seem unfazed by it. You know, because in their mind, that that's in the past now. Like mm-hmm. what, now, what they're thinking about now is the next game. They're, they're not thinking about the game they just had. That's that's old news to them. You know, you might be interested in it. The journalists may be interested in it, but the athletes aren't interested at all because that's that's in the past. That, that was not me. Whatever that was. Jeez, I got all these um, blink, blinking to making noises devices around me. Well, you're very popular. Look, let's not deny that. Hmm. Yeah, there was one. There's one incident. Uh, incident. Incidents. I'm not sure which way is right. Um, there was one situation where I did a Simpsons comic that I felt disappointed the editors, and okay. it bothered me. Uh, it's bo- it bothered me probably to now. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I'm looking at the issue. Issue 106. That's my issue of failure. And how how did and it, it disappoint be- them? Because I uh, I suggested them. Oh, how about we do? A, speaking of what we we're talking about earlier, a musical issue. And so we'll do uh, basically what Mad Magazine used to do was like sung to the tune of so and so, and then we'll do this uh, this song. Okay. And, and you know, and we'll do like a kind of a parody song, but like The Simpsons, you know, we'll break out into musical. And uh, and they went, oh, that sounds great. Oh, I love that idea. Oh, a fantastic idea. They, oh boy, and they don't ever like really jump on ideas like that. They're like, yeah, that's fine. Usually. Yeah. So so I did it. And I didn't get the rhythm right for them on the first draft for some reason. Like, they were like, yeah, but we're hoping it would be more like this. And I'm like, okay. So I did another real, a lot of rewrites on things and tightened things up. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's really, can't you make it more like, you know, like Mad Magazine? Because we really hoped it would be more like that. Okay. So we're looking at a lot of old Mad Magazines. Fine. Here, all right, then rewrite, try to get, yeah, but the rhythm, uh, the beats are wrong on this. And then I'm like, I don't think the beats are wrong. I'm singing them out loud. I know the beats are right to this. Uh, but, uh, and yeah, and at the end of it, I could just tell that they were just disappointed with mm. how it came out. Yeah, yeah. And I went on to do many, many more issues. Of <laughs> you did. You but did. That, was one of the, that was one of the few ones that they seemed genuinely disappointed with how it turned out. Wow. And I was like, oh, well, I'm a failure on that. And no one else ever freaking complained. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was just like, oh. No. And it's probably someone's favorite story. Could, could, and I've done this. When I later worked for Mad Magazine, they suggested uh, doing 
um, uh, a Mary Poppins, me doing a Mary Poppins parody uh, yeah. about the White House. And I was like, oh, no, here we go again. And <laughs> I, I think I did okay with it. You know, it was, but yeah, I was really nervous because it was like, you know, the, the kind of thing that I had failed so horribly, apparently, uh, on before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh well, we all have we all have those those uh little things in our lives. Mine is every day. No, I'm just I'm just joking. I'm joking. I'm I'm sorry. I'm joking, but yes, I do I do take I take my mistakes really hard. And it's probably one of many reasons why I you know, I think I would say I would I'm stuck in a certain place just because, you know, I can't I can't get past that uh I don't have the tools to get past that uh, that block or whatever, you know. I would say, yeah, if you were to talk to someone else who did the things that you wanted to do, mm-hmm. whatever those things would, would yeah. be, yeah. and you would say to them, oh, well, if you had this kind of relationship with them, and you go, what do you think your fuck-ups were? They go, oh, brother, and they just lay out the fuck-ups, yeah. and that's the things, unfortunately, that you need, is you need to have the fuck-ups. Yeah, yeah. You know, you need to fuck up here and learn, oh, that's not how I do it. You fuck up here, but <laughs> no, that's how I do it. Sure. But yeah, if the fuck-ups tear you apart too much, that's they stop you from going forward, that is the that is the, the problem. But everyone, everyone fucks up. You have to. Yeah. You don't learn from success. Sure. You only really learn from uh, mistakes. No, that's a good Otherwise, point. Otherwise, we just keep repeating the same thing over and over again. <laughs> No, it's a good point, but yeah, I think it's hard for it's hard for some, uh, especially for perfectionists like me, to to learn that lesson because uh, you're cool. so your 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 self image is so bound up in your uh, idea of success or your idea of acceptance, you know, for what you're doing that that uh, you know completion to complete it makes you liable to be judged, right? So it's better to not complete it. Do you uh, are there are there any people that are self um described perfectionists whose work you uh you admire can you think of anyone like that i don't know i don't i don't know i can't i don't know i think i have to google perfectionist and see what came up because i don't yeah, really know I, I wonder like like i mean there's people who are you know very you know again care care about things but someone like a david lynch you know i think is very meticulous about what they do mm-hmm. uh but i wonder if but it, i think it, he's free enough yeah i think he's free enough in his creativity that he's not too hung up on the idea of of failure as a as a as a as a you know I think he's very used to the idea of risk taking. Yeah, he's had enough movies that people I think would consider mm-hmm. that was a, that was a failure. That's a career stopper. Yeah, but I was like, no, just keep just keep doing it. But just even from the it. even from the get go, like his early uh, art art short, like little animated shorts and stuff like that. You know, those terrifying things. Um, yeah, are you know they feel very much born of sudden inspiration and not not labored over it. although obviously if you look at them they are labored over because there's a lot of laborious work in them but they're not they feel spontaneous and 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 free in spirit and not too hung up on themselves you know and not worried about crossing every t and dotting every i but just get, getting that experience or getting that idea across yeah i think that you also need to get the idea done while you still can stand it like you put the idea away for too long and it just it petrifies and, mm-hmm. and it's just so hard to get it moving later on. But I, I, what I'm saying this is like if yeah, I, like I could sort of see again because you know if you're a perfectionist, you're a perfectionist. But if you're a perfectionist <laughs> because you admire other people who are perfectionists and you want to be like that, I could see I could see that. 
But if the people who you admire are not perfectionist, then it feels like, oh, then you should probably try and go with how they function and how they get the things done because mm-hmm. they're the, you know, even though they can create something that in the end looks perfect. Like I would say probably a Paul McCartney is not a perfectionist, you know, just from the sheer amount of, you know, songs that uh, they they put out. And, you know, a lot of them are probably, you know, not the greatest thing in the world, but just keeps doing them, doing them, doing them. Yeah, yeah. And, no, I don't you know. think, uh, no, I don't think, I don't think from the get-go the Beatles were bound up in, in perfectionism. I think that they were definitely willing to to let, you know, a certain, uh, give themselves a certain amount of slack, you know. I don't, you know, otherwise they wouldn't have rhymed present and peasant and, and she's a woman you know like where it's just like a such a clumsy and horrible rhyme and it's such a great song and then when you you get to that rhyme you're just like ugh, like ugh, that's terrible but you know and it's sometimes it's yeah it's the flaw it is what it, it is what it you know but for them it was just because they didn't really think about lyrics it's the way we do now right for them it was just like you know it was song it was just filler right so just, just that whatever works eggs. Yeah, Wait, you, eggs. you know i can i can i can rhyme a ring a, you know golden ring 400 different ways that's fine we'll just use it over and over again every song we do it's, <laughs> it's okay you know so they you know it's just they didn't uh, they didn't sweat those kind of details which I is think, yeah. which is good cuz that's why they wrote you know and like you know there's that thing where they'll talk about like they wrote he and john like wrote 100 songs together when they were kids before they were even the beatles right just when they were kids and were teenagers when they would whatever they called it sag off from school or whatever when they let when they played hooky as we would say in this side of the world and you know and they would go and write but of course that 100 songs we've never heard those songs why is that because they're garbage but they knew it but they just wanted to like you know write they wanted to like try and figure it out and they just kept writing these songs and, and the other one come over and, i got a great idea for a song and the other one would be like great let's do it and they write the song and they go like "Ugh, that's terrible okay i got another great idea for a song you know, yeah. it's just that's how it that's how it should be, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's exactly how how yeah you, you get you know, and then you end up with something that's like, wow, what's the greatest album of all time? And you could name one of the Beatles albums, and people would go, yeah, it makes sense. I'd say so. <laughs> and how do you get there? A bunch of fuck ups, a bunch of mm, a bunch of not you know again yeah. caring but not minding. I think the, the the best thing for me that happened was was theater sports, not necessarily for the shows themselves, but for the idea of doing three shows a night they were 90 minutes long mm. and having to do a scene and then do another scene and then do another scene and then yeah. do another scene. And so no scene could be precious. Yeah. You just had to keep going and keep going and keep going. And then you learn like, Oh, I can survive failure. I can, I can, I can just keep making things, just keep making things, just keep making things. And then, you know, uh, people will remember the good and they'll remember the terrible and they won't remember the middle <laughs> stuff. So, <laughs> fine you're gonna be okay yeah that's yeah yeah i don't i don't know i don't know i mean it's probably my personality part i think your perfectionism or whatever makes you a perfectionist you know like whatever your personality type i think that's partly in you from birth you know it's like you know some sort of genetic heritage you know but then i think there's also like environmental factors you know that people you know even parents who might be well-meaning or don't realize what they're doing can contribute you know like i've mentioned before like my parents you know we're kind of never good enough parents you know so we we would do it i would do a chore or a task and then my mom and dad would come mom or dad would come and they would redo it in front of me you know which 
it's fine if they want to redo it, but they should have been like, what a great job, David. I can't believe how well you've washed all these dishes. They're almost all clean. This is fantastic. Thank you so much. Go play with your friends. Go have fun. And then when I leave, you know, just quickly do a second wash, get this, get these plates clean. You know, like whatever, you know, whatever I did. But to be honest with you, my parents were the sort of people that you could not reach, meet their standards. And so as a kid, you, you decide well, I'm not going to try because I can't meet these standards. So what do I, why am I striving so hard to do this? But on the other hand, you are also, uh, you know, you also want your parents' approval. So then you have to strive to get your parents' approval. So then you're caught in this sort of bind of like, you know, you don't care that much about it, but at the same time you are, you know, you want their, their approval. And then, you know, then, but it's better to, you know, it's better to not do it because then you don't get in trouble and blah, blah, blah. So, and yes, you'll get in trouble for not doing it, but it's a different kind of trouble, you know? Yeah. There's a, there's a real, there's there's a real importance to learning that good enough is good enough. (laughs) Yes. It it is a great, it's a great lesson. Yeah. And that's a real good way to, to, to be able to keep going and do things. And it's hard. And then you, you know, you kind of have to recognize your child, you know, like you have to recognize how, how they are as a person and what they require in order to do things like, you know, I've said before, I, I did very, very poorly with teachers who were nice and I did very well, well with teachers who were mean, mm. you know, and I don't mean cruel. I just mean who were demanding and strict and had, you know, had, you know, rigorous ideas of how a classroom was managed and kept everything going along at a would schedule. Would you want to please them or would you like to... I'll show them. Like, what? What was your attitude? Uh, I'm a pleaser. I'm a people pleaser. So that was definitely part of it. But also, it just gave me a rigid structure that I I had to I had to like struggle to to meet. And that challenge, I I enjoyed those sort of challenges. A teacher who was super easygoing and had no demands of me. You know, I just did nothing for those teachers because they didn't demand anything. And so right. you know, I just there's no incentive for me to, to do anything. You know, and and sure you can. You can do stuff to please yourself, but, you know, it's school. How pleasing is it, really? <laughs> so, you know, like, uh, and I found, like, like Mary, when she was growing up, and I think still today, actually, is the sort of person that you need to, like, ride. You know, you got to constantly be on them to get stuff done. You know, you go, Mary, did you do, did you get that done? Mary, did you do your homework? Mary, did you? Whereas Eve, you just can't do that with Eve. Eve is totally self-motivated. You know, so you have to have a totally different like support system. And Mary doesn't feel bad when you're doing that for Mary. Mary is not upset that you're constantly <laughs> on her case because, you know, she knows she has to do it. She's just putting it off and you telling her to do it is giving her the necessary momentum to get to get that task done. Right. But Eve, you can't push that way because Eve will just, Eve will, will shut down when you, when you get on, when you start to get on her, you know. And so those are things you learn very early on with your kids, how, what they need in order to, to succeed. And I think my parents weren't that dedicated to us, uh, or to me anyway, to know me and to know how to to make me, you know, make me go ahead. But saying that, thinking, I'm just thinking now, to my, you know, as I'm talking about this, at the same time, I, obviously, I was motivated enough that I I learned to draw, you know, I learned to write, I learned I learned how to write comedy to a degree. I learned all, you know, I just taught myself those things because I was interested in it, you know, mm-hmm. and I did those sort of things, but. But yeah, I, somehow I lacked the the ability to make that next step from from that from those beginnings to to move beyond that. I feel. Did they have a, a plan for you at all? No, no plan at all. No plan at all. And what's weird is that my mom really wanted me to go to school, go to university when I finished high school, and so 
Although did I, she did she go to university? No, she did. Neither my mom, neither my mom nor my dad oh, okay. went to university. I think my I'm pretty sure my they both are high school graduates. That's as far as they went. Okay, and they're both very intelligent people. It's just that the circumstances they grew up in did not allow for that next step. You know, like my my mom's mom and dad were not wealthy people, and my you know my grandpa worked in a in a in a smelter actually worked in a foundry. And so, you know, that's not a high-paying job, but they did okay in their lives. But, but that, you know, as, their, as my parent, as my mom was growing up, she, she didn't have a lot of opportunity. And then my dad grew up in a family with seven kids with a grandpa who, or with a dad who was an alcoholic and who had spent time in an, uh, in an institution. So, you know, I'm sure there was money was tight in that family as well. But... But, you know, so my dad left high school and started working for a, for a feed store and then went down to the States and joined the army to become an American citizen and then started working in radio and working in, in a warehouse part-time to, to, to keep, you know, his head above water. And so, you know, they, they advanced in their lives, but they never went, they never went to college or university, you know. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know if that was a dream of theirs, even for, for us. And, but it was weird because my mom wanted me to go to university. But when I started going to university, she could care less. Hmm about it and had no interest in my university at all, you know, and didn't, and would often like complain about me going to university. And so it was, really? very, yeah. Yeah. So well, it was a, well, how would the complaint take place? What would like, Oh, oh smarty pants. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's one of her favorite things to say is, Oh, David, you think you're so smart. Is one of her favorite sayings. Right. So, um, yeah. So yeah. you're, you're getting in trouble for, <laughs> you're like, Oh, I thought you wanted me to go because you're the one who forced me to, to like go to like I actually was I was supposed to go to Douglas College in and I went there but I was like this kind of shy ineffectual kid I had no idea what I was doing there and so I couldn't figure out how you applied where to go or do anything so I just like walked back out again a while later and just like uh, it's too confusing I can't figure this out so then she like made me go to Kwantlen and then I I was able to like figure it out there I think I met someone who like gave me some guidance and uh, yeah and so then but yeah it's just weird like. It's just weird to me. Like both the girls, when they went to their first days at like school, at university, and stuff like that, you know, like we, like I went with them. You know, I took them there, and we walked around together, and we went to the bookstore together, and we got a lay of the land together, and then you know, then then they were on their own after that. You know, they had to make their own way there, but that's fine. You know, they they know how to get there now. They know what's there. They know where to go. They know, you know, and yeah, it's just strange to me that I don't know. It's weird. Parents are weird. There's a person at. There's a person in my life. I don't want to say where where I know this person from, but there's a person in my life, and uh, he was complaining the other day that his wife had to work late. He's like, oh, we get off at five. And he's like, oh, my, my wife gets off at seven. I got I got the long wait tonight. And I said, well, why don't you just go home? He goes, well, you know, it's it's like a twenty minute drive home. I'm like, yeah, so you're home at five twenty. So your wife's off at seven. So you can spend some time at home and then go pick her up. Yeah, no, it's just there's not enough time. <laughs> What are you talking about? Time for what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Like, like you can go home, see your daughter, play with your daughter, put your daughter in your car, take your daughter with you to pick up your wife so she can see see her mom and her mom can see her right away. And you guys can have a fun drive back home and talk and share your life with your daughter. Like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Because you fucking asshole. Because there's another guy here whose wife and daughter are on their third year of waiting to come into Canada. 
Yeah. And got really screwed over by the whole COVID quarantine. And he has not seen them in real life for three years. Jesus. So, oh my God. you know, and you're complaining because you have to go home and you can't be there for more than, you know, an hour or more. Like, like at most, he's at, was a half, where he lives, he's a half an hour away from picking up his wife. At most. I don't even think it's that long. I think it's more like 20 minutes, but let's say a half an hour. Still, an hour and 10 minutes at home with your, with your, with your daughter. Like, fuck. Anyway, parents. <laughs> That's all I had to say. Parents. You know, and, to, and to complain about that in front of someone who has not seen their daughter, you know, has has missed three birthdays, that's, has missed that's missed three years of her life, you know, like yes, they get to talk on the computer every night, but that is no replacement for being with your dad and having your dad give you a hug and having Absolutely. to be able to give your daughter a hug and and you know, like it breaks my heart that it's taken so long for this and that you know. And yes, I'm okay that it's a process and we have to check everyone and blah, blah, blah. That's great. But, you know, to get screwed over by this freaking quarantine, the COVID thing, that really sucks, you know, because there's just no, no way they can come right now. So, <sighs> boo. <laughs> That's what I say. So I know it's a heartbreaker for him. And uh, I don't bring it up very often because I don't, I don't really know how much he wants to talk about it. But if he does talks yeah. about it, when he does talk about it, I'm happy to see pictures and I'm happy to talk about it. But yeah, that's, that's good. That's the thing about, you know, you want to be there for that. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like that with a, another person I know right now who's going through something that's, that, yeah, you got to let them regulate when they bring it up. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like something that's so yeah. big. that's like, okay, yep. 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 I'm not going to be, Hey, what's up with the, <laughs> what's up with the horrible thing? That's right. The horrible thing better. How's that heartbreaking How's that? thing going for you? Have you gotten over that yet? And move forward in your life? No, still a trauma. Oh yeah, I I don't know if I ever would. Well, okay. Anyway, yeah. So there's a lot of me basically just going like you know when they say something, it's like yeah that sucks. Mm-hmm. Oh that's awful. That's mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I see other people yeah. going. Oh yeah, but you know at least you, uh, <laughs> don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. Fuck your mouth. You know what? You know what you should do. You know what you should do. You should. Yeah. You think you got it bad? Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! You, sh- shut you up. should write to the government of Canada and, f- and ask them how long is this going to take? Oh yeah, that'll get a good re- good response. Yeah, you're yeah, not going to end up in the bottom of the pile then. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Uh, everyone is having a hard time right now. Sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> yes. Sorry, having a hard time. Yes. Sorry. I wish we could send you chocolate bars if you eat chocolate. <laughs> if you don't eat chocolate, I wish we'd send you bacon. If you don't eat bacon, I understand that. Yeah, a, a, a nice light salad. I'll, I'll send. I'll send you some ice cream. I'm really craving ice cream right now. Oh right. So uh, when is uh, when is Easter? April fourth. Oh, April fourth. April fourth. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sounds good. You can tell that's I'm good. eager for it because I know. I know. What it, I know. I looked it up the other day. I'm like, when is Easter exactly? It's better be when early in April. I'm a, ah. Better yeah, be early. It'd be funny if they go to you, hey, Dave, you can get the vaccine early. Oh, that's fantastic. Has sugar in it. No, oh, I got to pass. <laughs> can, I, can I do it? And, you no, know. it's all full of sugar. <laughs> no, can't do it. No, 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 no. That doesn't no. sound like a very safe vaccine, by the way. No, it, it, was, a, it was a candy vaccine. It was just a little <laughs> okay, girl. That's fine. She was playing doctor. Yeah, she had yeah. a little kit, and she was like, would you mm. like the vaccine? Yeah. It's like, oh, the sweet sugar in here. Get away from me. Going to cure you of saccharin. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Boy, the sacrament was so good when I was a kid. <laughs> was not. If there was a salt lake, I just would have been all over it. I think you were missing, I think you're missing spice in your food. 
I just look at that. There's no go, seasoning that, in your food at all. That kid was well. I had I had British relatives, you know. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah no seasoning. It was basically you know no seasoning, but then an onion, like a whole onion in most things. A big salad with like a whole onion, and because uh, yeah. <laughs> you know smokers. So yeah, <laughs> that is that is interesting how bland food used to be. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my mom's classic. Uh, browned beef, brown like ground beef, but she just would brown it. Yeah, brown it in a pan. Did she add onions to it? Nope. Did she add salt and pepper to it? I don't think so. Was it just meat? Yep. And what did she have with that? Rice. <laughs> so she took the brown, browned ground beef, and then dumped it over some white rice. Yep. That was her dinner. What did you have with it? Green beans from a can. Wow, Dave, that is a flavor sensation, and I'm jealous of you. Yeah, no, it was. I mean, I, I know I got to give my mom some props because one, she made an awesome spaghetti and, an, right. aw- and an awesome lasagna. Like both of those were, were spot on, spot on, sir. And then unlike a lot of my friends at, the, at that age, my mom was a taco person. She would make tacos for us. Oh, that is nice. And that was pretty rare that in those days. Yeah. And I kind of wonder if that's from living down in the States for a while. Probably. But I don't know. But I don't know. But yeah. So oh, she, she, just a, she just a big Rockford Files fan. <laughs> for sure that's genetic and then and then uh and then she also did a uh, you know then she also did a meal that i love of course because you know you guys know me which was macaroni and cheese and hot dogs and it would it would start it off as just like when we were little kids it was just uh macaroni and cheese frankfurters or wieners and then brown beans and then later on i i started adding the the bread to the to make it make them hot dogs Mm-hmm. But I would just use bread, like just white bread, you know, as a roll around the, or fold it over the, the hot dog, as we've talked about before. But, those, you know, those were like, those were actually, like, to me, those were good meals and ones I look forward to. It was more like the, it was more things like, yeah, the, the browned ground beef with, with white rice. My absolute least favorite food of all time, which was uh, the roast beef from the day before. This was always on a, this was a Monday meal, every Monday after we had roast beef. The next day was uh, roast beef with gravy on white bread just oh. not toasted not toasted just oh. white bread oh with just some roast beef oh. on it and then oh. gravy over top of it oh god no <laughs> yes, yes. as a as a texture person more. as a texture person you were on oh, the oh, you were on oh, the oh, for arriving oh this god. this soft soft gravy no. bread <laughs> dear lord i know that's a nightmare i know I hated yeah. it. I hated it so much. Run away from home. I hated it so much. I mean, I, I was a good, good kid. You know, I was a, as I said before, I'm a person, people pleaser. So I, I always oh. ate my food. So that I ate that. I without remember something complaint, similar but, to that, and it ugh. had peas as well were involved. There's peas floating around in that nonsense. I wouldn't eat it. Is that like, uh, is that like chicken or turkey a la king? It would be like a, it would be a hot turkey sandwich, I guess. And there's, okay. so you put the gravy over the turkey. Yeah, sandwich, yeah, yeah. Again, was bread, not yeah. toast. And then yeah, there'd be peas involved. Yeah, that and that's a that sounds like turkey. Line. That sounds like turkey or chicken a la king, which we also did, and we also did over white bread, and just soaked into the bread and blah blah. blah. What kind of king would eat that? Just oh <laughs> lord. We would have. I think the king was the dog. because uh, no one wanted to eat it, so the dog got it. 
Yeah. Here, King. Here, boy. King. Come on, yeah, King. Exactly. I don't know whose joke that is, but it's a great joke. Um, <laughs> I just said it. What do you mean whose joke it was? Well, it's an old joke. That's is an it? old joke. It's like an Alan King joke. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this food was fit for a king. Here, King. Here, boy. <laughs> okay. Like, okay. Remember, it's an old Jewish comedy. That, that, that is an old joke. Okay. You're right. I didn't. Um, I wasn't even thinking about that joke when I said that. But okay. We would have. She, my mother had this device that would seal up, that would make a sandwich. It was seal up a sandwich like so, so a grilled cheese sandwich she put it on the stove and heat it up and flip it yeah and then open it up and it would be like a tight sandwich almost like a shell okay and then she decided to like you know what you need more fiber so she put some baked beans on the sandwich <laughs> with the grilled cheese seal it up there you go and uh and then you bite into it and you're biting into magma just fucking magma <laughs> also, it also sounds also sounds gross by the way bomb. yeah no it's not i mean i, I, I kid, like i didn't know better i like baked beans i was still like we just had them the other night we had a we had a real british breakfast the other night for dinner what was that it was uh fried eggs like it bacon all right sausages sounds good cooked tomatoes let's say those sausages were bangers okay yeah, bangers sorry bangers cooked tomatoes there you are fried onions Brown I don't bean. know if that's part of a breakfast, but okay, brown, continue. Brown beans. Oh, sorry, did I say fried onions? Sorry, fried mushrooms, I meant. Fried mushrooms. Fried mushrooms, yes, yeah. that does work. And then uh, baked beans. Baked beans, okay, sure, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. It was good, it's good. I was all over I, it. I do enjoy... Oh, and also hash browns. I also like the, the, the beans that are in a tomato sauce. They're British style. You can get those now from Heinz, the actual British style beans. Mm. Very, very nice. Okay. Uh, but yes, I do enjoy a baked bean for sure. A ba- you know what? I like a baked bean with a grilled cheese sandwich, but separate. <laughs> separate. Well, it's funny. Yeah. See, I'm more of a. I'm more of a shell meat. I'm more a grilled cheese and tomato soup guy. Okay. I'm not a tomato soup person. Yeah. So that's what I understand I grew up the. Uh, I understand why you would like that. I, I get but it. I, I never made that connection until I until Lisa and I started going out, and I would go over to her parents' place. We'd go riding, and we'd come back, and we'd have we'd have lunch and have a. Grilled cheese sandwich with soup. And that is still one of her favorite go-tos. Oh, Yes. It's very good. That's very, very, that's very, very sweet. Um, and I make a really good grilled cheese sandwiches, by the way. Have we, have we asked this already, what, what people's comfort food is? I think we might have. Did we ask this already? No idea. Sorry. <laughs> I've, I guess I, you know, I, I should have probably written down the questions as we were doing them, but I did not. You know what? I think it's an evergreen question. Sure. You know? Like what was? Well, how about? How, I'll give you. I'll give you one. This will even double it up. What used to be your favorite comfort food a mm-hmm. lot when a kid? Yeah. What is your comfort food now? Okay. Has it changed? Is yeah. it the same? Okay. There you are. I like There's it. A little room to play with there. Sure. There you are. There you go. Oh, you know, talking, talking food. Mm. Uh, <laughs> we, we traditionally in the oldie days, Dave. Yeah. We'd have a conversation like this. And then we'd go, let's go get some food. And we would go eat food. Oh, and yeah. We'd like decide. And really quickly, we, uh, we're pretty good about coming to a quick decision where we're going to eat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What are you sick of? I'm sick of this. Then let's eat there. Okay. We'll go there. <laughs> I'd really like to eat at that uh, uh, Greek place down the street. For oh, me. yeah. Yeah. They're, they're an odd place that I hope still exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's one of those places with the overly friendly wait staff, which I always... Yeah, that will tell you too much information about the people that were there right before you. <laughs> those people. That is, that, they are going through a divorce that is no... Oh, boy. He thinks he has herpes. <laughs> uh, I'm betting he does. I'm betting he does. And uh, to say all that with a kid there was just... Ooh. 
I don't know. Anyway, what do you want, Darwin? I like, and then well, I also like the uh, the person who's like a little too boasty as well. You know, like yeah, I normally work in the kitchen, but I like to come out front and work every once in a while because you know what? I can tell you what you really need. You know, I can tell you what's good back there too. And if they have any problems, I'll let you know. Like, okay, okay, thanks, yeah. thanks, boss boots. Yeah, this really is a different club sandwich because of that that detail. I don't know. <laughs> it's fine. It's good. You know. <laughs> well, uh, what was funny? What was funny is after he said that. He brought me this, um, I was having the saganaki, the cooked cheese, as everyone knows. It's great. One of the best dishes at a Greek restaurant. Uh, and it was like, burned to a crisp. And he puts it down in front of me, puts it down in front of me, and walks away. And I'm staring at it. I'm thinking like, oh, man, I really want to complain about this, but I hate complaining. Oh, And then he comes back again. And he goes, that's too cooked, isn't it? I said, yeah. And he goes, I thought so. Those idiots. And he picked it up and he took it back to the kitchen. I was like, why, why, why did you even put it down? Like, you should have just, like, looked at it then and said, you idiots, make them cook it again. Not bring it to me and then change your mind. Put me through mental torment while I'm trying to... like he's, he left the kitchen going, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. It'll look better under the lights. Yeah. He's pacing. He goes into the meat locker. He swears to himself with the door shut. No one can hear. They can just see him waving his hand. And he's like having a conversation with himself. You've changed. You've changed. You can still redeem yourself. Uh, goes back out. I gotta talk to the guy. I gotta do it. Don't do it. Now I gotta talk to him. Right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. He's just like it'll. It'll look better under the lights. It'll look fine. It'll. Yeah. And he you puts know, it puts it, little, puts it down in front of me. Yeah. Puts a little lipstick on it. <laughs> a little pretty dress. This, ah! this this shriveled up, blackened piece of cheese. Here you go, sir. Bon appetit, as they say. <laughs> Walks away. What am I doing? I've sold out. Yeah. Uh, you also burnt the Coke. <laughs> I don't even know how I did that. Yeah, that's very difficult to do, but th- there's a crispy skin on top. Those idiots in the kitchen. Yeah, those guys. All right, what are you doing? you selling the soap. What do you want over here? It's just those motherfuckers in the dining room. <laughs> uh, it's okay. It's these idiots in the kitchen. <laughs> the motherfuckers in the dining room think you're idiots in the kitchen. Hey, these people in the kitchen think you're motherfuckers. Guys, I'm on your side. I swear to God. No, I love you guys. I love you both. I love you so much, both of you. Why can't you get along? Both of you. You're breaking my heart. You're breaking my heart. He's so conflicted. I'm sorry. Poor waiter. The cheese is burnt. (laughs) I'll get you another one. Uh, Thank you, sir. Brings back the same cheese. There you go. <laughs> there you are. Now it's cold. Why do you think you're getting away with this? <laughs> you idiots in the kitchen. <laughs> and then you open the door. There's no one in the kitchen. <laughs> There's just never him, been just him by himself, madly cooking, trying to also just be a server. He's just yeah, does and then you learn from somebody. No one else is coming to this <laughs> restaurant. Here. <laughs> so the waitress left last week. He won't admit it though. She's just off yeah, tonight. She's just <laughs> off tonight. Yeah. Is that I'm, am I hearing something in the basement? Nope. It's a mouse. Let me out. It's a mouse. Yeah, it's a mouse that wouldn't mind its own business. Let me anyway, out. what more do you want? Yeah. Don't eat the Saganaki. It's I seven days you. old. <laughs> He's been trying to pass it off all week. Yeah. I can't I can't just throw it out. I'll put it in front of someone who, whose face glows when they see it. Everyone's been so disappointed, though. I can't. This breaks my heart. Uh, yeah. 
And yeah, I would like, I would like to go back there. You're right. Me too. Yeah. I like those odd sort of places. Uh, imagine like, going into a white spot. I like the I like the white spot where we're served by children. <laughs> yes. And and yes. disappointed children at that. Oh dear. Yeah. So your wives showing up? <laughs> no, it's just the two of us. Oh no. <laughs> Let me stare off into the distance. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the weirdest thing. It's, it's is as if... Danny Boy playing? Okay. Danny Boy is playing. It's what so hard. Playing? It's so hard to convey to people. Like, this, okay, we walk into the restaurant. This young girl, about six years old, turns to us and says, how, how many in your party? We said two. We said two. We might as well have said, we just came to tell you your dog died. That's what it looked like. Her face just fell. As if we'd shot her grandmother in front of her. And then she looked off into the distance, this thousand-yard stare, and we stood there. And we're like, "What is she thinking? Like, is she the restaurant? It was kind of late, so the restaurant was almost completely empty." And she yeah. like calculate, "Where should I see these people?" Can I, can I do a can scenario I? here? Here's a scenario. <laughs> okay, so you right. do a scenario. Honey, so, yes. so here's what happened the week before. <laughs> okay, or maybe the month before. Yep. She's an adult lady. <laughs> serves a witch and the witch goes you burnt my cheese and like what are you gonna do about it I curse you you must be at the door and ask how many people are in the party well they must invite you into the party and that's the only way the curse will be broken so there's two gentlemen. He must say three, and because we would like you to join us. Oh, that sounds like a creepy thing that uh, sexist guys would say. I know, and you're an attractive woman. It's possible, but wait, the curse is not complete. Poof! Now you're six. No, no, you you'll lose you you uh, age. You lose a year every day. You lose a year every day, right? So now you're six. You're six years old. So unless these guys are real bad dudes, they are no way going to say, come join us for dinner. No way. You're not going to ask a six-year-old who works here to join them. And you can't ask. They must just say. And so every time, it's just like, oh, well, and then, And she knows she'll vanish in six days. <laughs> the good thing was, though, a, cu- a couple days later, the cast of, of a stage revival of Bugsy Malone came in. Mm-hmm. All was well. Yeah. And it's like, hey, is that Scott Bale? And you went, yeah. And you went, yuck. <laughs> but then there's Jodie Foster. That's pretty good. That kind of evens things out. Mm-hmm. Good for her. Good for her. Jodie Foster. She's in everything. I'm, I'm sure if you looked Foster. at the cast of that film, there's there's a few other rising actors. In Irene Cara. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is singing in that movie. Yeah, there is. As well as f- shooting of, we're <laughs> really obsessed with that movie for some reason. I never, no. I, I, I was mentioned before. I was not allowed to see that movie as a kid because it was, it was too violent. My parents felt, but yeah, I, I, I did stand in the W. H. Smith bookstore at Guilford Mall and read the entire, uh, pic- pictorial novel of the movie. They had, they had like that a really gave you the flavor. <laughs> this fumetti version of the film with the, like they had like you know speech balloons and stuff like that. Maybe it wasn't speech balloons. Maybe it was just the dialogue underneath. But but yeah, it was like you could just like look at each scene or you know like frames from the film and and, and page through it. And yes, I certainly felt like I saw the movie after that. Uh huh. Yeah, they got. A, I was looking at the list here of the actors from from the movie. No, you don't know no one. Oh, is that right? Like uh, like it, it gets down to you know. Uh, John Williams, but it's like not that John Williams. Michael <laughs> Jackson, and it literally says here, not that Michael Jackson. Okay, okay. Oh, that's, 
Oh, that's too bad. I thought maybe there'd be like a couple of of nascent stars, or at least the character actors that we would see later on. No, there was the one. Cast. There was a, a a kid actor who then was in Fish. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Man. I mean, listen. And by the way, hmm. there's nothing wrong with Fish. No. Hey, if no. you're if you're Canadian yeah. and you've got throwback. Uh, on your CTV app for yeah. free. Yeah. Go watch yourself some fish. It's but, fine. But here's the problem with fish. Here's the problem with fish. Is it took a really good character from Barney Miller. Yeah. And made him into a less good character on fish. Yeah. It's true. It's true. It kind of kind of spoiled Barney Miller in a way too. It kind of it it I don't know. It just wasn't the same. You needed you needed that grouchyel guy on on you know that grouchyel forty year old guy on Barney Miller. Yeah. There was a. Uh... And then there was some conflict there or something. And then oh, that. is that right? Is that why he left the show? Yeah, there were some, there were some, there were some problems. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah. Avogoda demanded a lot more money for oh. the third season, and uh, they went nope, and that was the end of that. They were still, they were doing well ratings wise through the whole time. It was all fine. Like the, three, the, is it three seasons? Two seasons? Yeah, the third one they, they canceled. I never, I didn't really watch the show at the, at the time. I, you don't I didn't to, like it. Fine. I didn't like it. You don't have to. It's fine. It's absolutely fine that you didn't. It feels like the kind of show, like if you were doing a fish spinoff, what you want to do is like, they made it a sitcom. Mistake. You make this a dramedy, like a hard dramedy. You want to Lou Grant this shit. And now you you really get to Ava Goat in there. And he's still doing some comedy stuff occasionally. But, you know, you drama it up. That'd be fine. Win a bunch of Emmys. You'll be totally, you'll be great. (laughs) Yeah. Learn from Lou Grant, everybody. You know, who wants to spin off of Mary Tyler Moore? Eh. Uh, how about if it's like completely a different genre? What? All right. <laughs> it worked. It's fine. Hmm. And then you got Phyllis. And, you know, people were like, that's eh, fine. Phyllis. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember that show, but yeah. No one does. It's fine. Because. Policeman's great. She went on to do many things. But she is great. But the problem with that character was is that she was, it was based around the idea that we never saw Thor, right? Her, ah. hus- her husband, Thor. You know, and so that's that's kind of like the the key to that character. You know, as a sort of invisible husband. They should have had a show that was just the okay because because they had Carlton Your Doorman from Rhoda, mm-hmm. which was a spinoff. You know what? Technically, Carlton Your Doorman is a spinoff from Mary Tyler Moore as well. It's a spinoff of Rhoda, spinoff of Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah, but he was a guy you never saw, mm-hmm. and then they had an animated series with him in it. Okay, uh, and or at least pilot. They should have had him working as a doorman for a new building that was just the imaginary characters from all the other <laughs> shows. So uh, Niall's wife on Fraser. Yeah. Da- it was not Daphne. Uh, as, as you said, Thor. Thor, Thor would, uh, from, after yeah. a divorce would go over there. Yeah. So yeah, all these people that you'd never see, you would see there. Like, but we know. still we still don't see them. Yeah, Carl Reiner you only saw... You saw well, the no, they kind of, they kind of, they kind of blew that. They so. Alan Brady them, yeah, later on. Okay, yeah. that's fine. But yeah, all the characters you do not see, and if you saw them, you would learn they were all the same person—a sociopath. It just goes <laughs> person to person. No one can ever meet me. No one. Let's Try go. Let's go back a little bit there. Let's let's deep nope. let's deep dive Dick Van Dyke show on Phyllis. Two seasons, Phyllis. Huh? Okay, go ahead. Um. Now that that was considered not successful at that time, though, right? Like two seasons, not the ratings weren't great. That's probably why it only. No, I didn't do. It didn't do uh, great. And you think it would? Ha- it would. The Mary Tyler Morse show was still on at that time, right? So it would. It would have been. Wouldn't that? Wouldn't have had that as a lead in. That's a good question, but wouldn't it have led into Rhoda? Well, I'm assuming it would have. I, one or, both of them, or one of the one of the two of them, 
or all, th- all three of the shows. You wouldn't, wouldn't have got 90 minutes of, uh, of the oh, more, sick- more verse of sick sitcom. Yeah. But wasn't that like the point of like Thursday nights on NBC was you had four, you had two hours of, of comedy. Are you talking like must see TV? I'm just thinking of like cheers. There was like cheers, the Cosby show. And then, and then didn't they have like two other, two other comedy shows at the same time? Like that though, well, they had like a block all, of comedy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's NBC. This of course was CBS. I know. I mean, but just thinking like that's not, it's not unheard of for, for a station to have like more than uh, one hour of not comedy. Not unheard of indeed. No. But you're right. Normally it was an hour, uh, two sitcoms. And then there was like an hour long, you know, like police woman or Beretta or whatever. And they, and they, the last right. the 10 and to Rota, 11 hour. Rota went five seasons. Rhoda did pretty well, except, except uh, I think the actor, the actor who played her husband had some difficulties with the show, and so that was made it complicated. And so got a divorce. Yeah. yeah. She had a wedding, she had a divorce. <laughs> Guess, well. And then off she went. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to think, like, uh, how things go. And so it's... I'd have to. I'd have to look into it. I'd have to look into this. That's fine. Stuff. I just want to. I just want to go a little bit back to Dick Van Dyke's show because I'm just wondering about Alan Brady on that show. Like, like personally, okay. I love the. I love the 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 joke of of not seeing his face. Like, I, I always thought that was great. That yeah, the famous just, character you would never see. Yeah, and then later on, they like they, you know, he became a character in the show, but I felt like that kind of weakened that character. Like, I preferred him as like the mysterious boss you know who's like seems so imperious and over and demanding but you never see him you know and i wonder though if do you think that the character changed when they started to show him like i feel like yeah 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 Yeah, because you got to make him more human yeah 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 this monster Mm -hmm. that everyone's uh terrified of yeah and i thought that was more fun but i I, I can see why uh, over time you need to like also it's fun um, because you get to play the uh you know the you know sid caesar yeah. All that you know, it's kind of loosely based on the Sid Caesar. Sure, show. sure. Yeah. Uh, so you know, you got Sid Caesar, who was a funny guy. Everyone like, but everyone was also scared of him because <laughs> you know he'd lose his temper and just be this yeah incredibly strong monster that mm-hmm. would like smash walls and pull people out of windows. Apparently, yeah, yeah. Well, he was uh, uh, fortunate. He had an amphetamine addiction, so that yeah, well, created some there's personality. other people with that. Yeah, there's other people with amphetamine addictions that don't pull people out windows. So. <laughs> Yeah, you know, well, they're not strong enough to do it. Oh, I guess yeah. If they were strong enough, they, they would do it then. Them. Yeah, they have other they have other things they do that are you know different things they do. That, <laughs> yeah, they involve less less physical lifting. It's also it's also tough because then you really have to. Yeah, he was a, it was a very interesting character, and then it just depends what you it depends what you work under better. Like, do you work better under withering sarcasm, or do you work better in a situation where you're dangled by your ankles from a window? Yeah. Like personally, I'm more of a dangle from your ankles from a window guy because I like uh, pressure and I like to have like structure. Whereas I feel like this withering sarcasm, it's just not enough of a motivator for me. Yeah. No, that all makes sense. Yep. I could see. So dang- dangling from your ankles if the show ever starts to really lose it. <laughs> That's right. That's what you got to do. Unfortunately, I'm on the ground floor here, so it's not as effective. But Do you know what I think I'll do instead? I think by the time that happens, yeah. uh, pandemic will be done. Is uh, I'll just get you the VR helmet. <laughs> we just do a f- virtual hanging from the virtual. Hanging. Yeah, there's a lot of games where you're, you're on top of the building. Uh, you just flip it sure, sure. and uh, you'll be fine. Love it, yeah. love it. That's great. That's great. Do, it's weird. No one. There's no mention here of the uh, the Alan Brady show, the animated series. It's such a weird little thing that happened for a brief period of time. One of my recently. one of my favorite things about the Dick Van Dyke show was the them writing the show part of the show. Mm-hmm. I loved I loved that stuff. I just ate that up. 
yeah, in no way was it real, of course, but it just felt felt real. Well, I mean, if you were if you were to make it real, it would be a lot of sitting around going. Uh, what do we do? Uh, <laughs> okay, this is the bad idea. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, Woody, Woody Allen says, yeah, it was basically a bunch of guys or a bunch of guys and girls, depending on which era you're talking about, uh, just sitting around a table. Thelma Diamond, as we know. Thelma Diamond. <laughs> Thelma Diamond. Sitting around a table, talking, just like shooting the shit, you know, just killing time, and then eventually be like, okay, let's get, we better get down to work here and do some actual writing. But it sounds like it was kind of fun. It sounds like mm-hmm. it was kind of fun. Okay, the Alan Brady Show animated series. Yeah. And of course, you know, uh, Carl Reiner is Alan Brady. Uh, and uh, and uh, Rob Paulson, who's got famous voice actors in it. Carol Leifer was in it as well. Okay. Uh, Rosemary played his secretary. Ah. Uh, and Dick Van Dyke was also a, re- a reoccurring character, but not as Rob Petrie. Okay. Huh. Uh, interesting. It, it is interesting. It's not a good series. Uh, but how, um, how was that on for two years as well? <laughs> it was on one year, yeah. it looks like, and it was uh, 2003. Oh, oh, it's that. It's an older. I mean, yeah, it's you got to take this into account. It was a year when they all were alive. Yeah, yeah. That's usually the way they do, they do these things. Yeah, but aren't they all? Aren't no, not all of them. But weren't no. they? Were they all still alive till like a year ago? Uh, ooh, well, thing. Rosemary. When did she pass away? Uh, she passed away in 2017. Oh, was that long ago? Oh, wow! Time flies. Holy cow! Yeah, it really <laughs> does, Dave. It I know. Really it's. Does. I wasn't trying to be. I mean, I know it's a cliche, but when you when someone tells you that something that seems like it was like last year was three years ago, or four years ago, your your reaction is what? I'm now looking here to see like what her last job was, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it disappoints me. Uh, it was. Uh, she was a regular on the Garfield show. Why is that disappointing? Uh, come on. She deserves better than the Garfield show. She played normal. Oh, okay. That's good. Well, I guess she was the new normal. <laughs> Something we're all very aware of now. Nice. Hey, Dave. Yes, sir. I'm spinning this around, spinning this around, spinning this around to the story of a vampire and his friends. Will he ever find love, Dave? <laughs> friends? Um... Will he ever find love? Well, that's a very good question, and one I do not have the answer for today. Okay. Well, what we do uh, on the show, those of you who haven't listened for a while, is Dave has been uh, watching Dark Shadows, and he recaps Dark Shadows for us on the show now. Uh, or Bark Shadows. Uh, <laughs> our, new, our new show. Yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah. Barkibus Collins. Barkibus Collins, yeah. Wait, no, no, no. What? what? Barkibus Collie. <laughs> that's even better. There you go. Yeah, the whole Collie family. Elizabeth Colley, and then uh, oh, Vicky Wintercoat. I guess. Yeah. Um, so I believe last episode we stopped with a car crash. Mm. Very good. If I'm wrong, we're going to get a bit of overlap, but that, that's all right. Um, so yeah. So if you remember last, I'm pretty sure this is what happened last week. Last week, I've I got to I got to remember to write like mark at, mark at the end of because you know what last time I had done notes a little bit ahead. Or a pass where I stopped, but they didn't really like reach a satisfactory conclusion. But so then I forgot to mark where I stopped. But I'm pretty sure I stopped at the car crash. So uh, if you remember last week, Vicky and Barnabas were driving. And I don't know if I mentioned, but Barnabas, of course, using his his you know his uh, ability to like hypnotize 
his vampiric mm. ability to, you know, keep someone in thrall. He had convinced Vicky that they should get married, and Vicky was like, "Yes, Barnabas, that's a great idea." But she still had enough of her personhood that she wanted to go to the 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 the, the uh, Collins family mausoleum uh. and look for that secret room. And then on the way there, out stepping out of the the darkness on the road into the light of the headlights of the car was a fellow who looked remarkably like Peter Bradford, Vicky's love from 1795. And in her oh, shock and, and amazement, she steered the car into a tree. So Barnabas and Vicky are at the hospital. The doctor is very curious about Barnaby's, about Bar- uh, Barnabas's condition. Uh, Vicky awakens to find the man who looks like Peter, and he introduces himself as Jeff Clark. Mm-hmm. Julia arrives, Julia Hoffman, Barnabas's doctor, so-called associate accomplice, arrives and attempts to remove Barnabas from the hospital because it's nearly dawn. But the doctor prevents her, and he tells her that he knows that Barnabas is a vampire. Uh-oh. And the best part of that scene is the classic mistake of Julia saying to the doctor, who is implying that he knows that Barnabas is a vampire, or that Barnabas is a vampire. She says, what are you inferring? <laughs> but he didn't correct her and say, no, no. As Cerebus once did in early issue of Cerebus, the you infer, I imply. But anyway, um, later on, Barnabas wakes. The doctor has tried, doctor, doctor explains to him that he has tried a series of experimental treatments on Barnabas. Now Barnabas, of course, is like, I got to get out of here. I don't want you to know I'm a vampire because that's my big secret. I don't want anyone to know when I kill people or attempt to who might find this out. So he attempts to leave, but the doctor throws open the curtains, revealing when he said it was four, he didn't mean four in the morning. He meant four in the afternoon. It's bright sunlight shining on you, Barnabas. What do you think of that? And Barnabas does the classic, ah! and then he goes, oh, I'm all right. It's fine. I'm okay. Wait, why is he all right? Because he's okay because the doctor has given him experimental treatments and cured his vampirism. What? What indeed? Meanwhile, at Collinwood, Roger. So now I'd have to remind everyone that if you remember last episode, Vicky brought a painting home that turned out to be a painting of Angelique. The witch from 1795. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I wonder was... if there's any doctor's techniques to cure witch. <laughs> witch, witch. And so Roger has become rather... Um, he's became, he became rather uh, enraptured in that painting. He spent a lot of time pondering it, staring into its depths, and looking in deeply into that painting. And one day, at Collinwood, Roger has an episode where he believes that he is Joshua... And his sister, Elizabeth, is his wife, Naomi. Shocking. And he treats her as if he was Joshua. And by the way, Joshua was a giant dick. So, because uh, that's one of the reasons why. Why did Joshua survive and the rest of uh, rest of Barnabas's family die under the curse of Angelique? The reason was, and they said this on the show, is because Joshua did not love Barnabas. Oh. He loved no one. He was a man who could not love. He could esteem he could appreciate you, he could respect you, but he could never love you. And that's why he was safe from the curse. Aww. Now, Elizabeth slaps him and, and uh, Roger gets, comes out of this, this fugue, fugue state and he's like, what happened? They go visit Barnabas at the hospital. But Roger is full of antipathy to Dr. Lang 
And while they're there, he steals the doctor's head mirror. You know those things they used to wear in the band with a little uh, metal? Yeah, the head mirror. Uh, now, well, Dr. Lang is... So this happens a bit later. Dr. Lang is talking to Barnabas, explaining his treatment, etc. And we see that under the influence of the painting, Roger begins to twist the head, the, uh, the band of the head mirror. And it causes Dr. Lang great pain. And he... He's like writhing in pain and he begins to lose his vision. And then Roger, when he's, he's being ordered by the voice of Angelique to throw the headband into the fireplace, mm. he's able to like resist, resist this order and stop himself from, you know, killing someone. So uh, Dr. Lang kind of uh, comes, comes to himself, but uh, Barnabas knows who's responsible for this. Oh. He says, Angelique. Now we learn that Jeff Clark the boy who looks like Peter Bradford, or young man, I guess I should say, is a is an employee of Dr. Lang. And Dr. Lang forbids him to accompany Vicky home, and he says, you know why. But we don't know why. But Jeff knows why. So Dr. Lang takes her home himself, but Vicky is upset because she can't find Jeff. because And she believes that he is Peter Bradford. And Jeff's like, uh, no, but okay. Uh, so now... Vicky, of course, had wanted to go to the mausoleum, the, the, the Collins family mausoleum, and was prevented from doing so by a, a, a tree. So uh, Dr. Hoffman, Julia, agrees to go with her to the mausoleum. And so they go there, and then they find Jeff Clark weirdly skulking in the corner of the mausoleum. Wow. It's very strange. What are you doing, what are you doing Jeff? Yeah, what are you doing there, weirdo? But it says he was taking shelter from the rain. So yeah, I guess, that's fine. Okay, that's, that's fine, fine then. Uh, but together, they find the secret room. And Vicky oh. says... Then I did travel into the past, because there's no way that she could have known that, except by learning about it in the past when she was hidden there by Ben Stokes. So, uh, just want to make sure that I'm turning the right way here. Please. They find the secret room. Barnabas is reverting back to being a vampire, and he comes to Dr. Lang and tells him, I'm having the familiar urges again, and Dr. Lang tells him that the cure could be permanent. But what is that revolve? He does not say. Dr. Lang and Jeff argue about his job with Dr. Lang. But Dr. Lang says, you know, I could send you back to where I got you from. I took you out of that asylum where you were, where you were, had to stay. And remember, you are a murderer. That's why he wouldn't let him near Vicky. Oh, okay. Roger, meanwhile back at Collinwood, Roger, worried that Vicky will do something with the painting. She has said that she thinks she should get rid of the painting. Uh, he takes it away from Collinwood. He just picks it up and leaves. Uh, Vicky visits Barnabas to tell him that she can no longer marry him, that she mm. has feelings for Jeff slash Peter, whom she met in the past and still believes is, al- is alive in the form of Jeff Clark. Because if you remember in the last, last, the last episode, remember she went back in time and visited Peter just as he was being hanged? Okay. And so she believes that that connection still exists for them and that he came into the future. Barnabas does not believe this. He says, hey, he lived in the past. He's not of our time. The reason you could come back is you are of this time. He is of that time. He's still there. <clears throat> but she says, I'm not sure, and I can't marry you. <laughs> Barnabas, despondent, tells Dr. Lang that he no longer wants to undergo Dr. Lang's cure. But an insistent Dr. Lang, one might say an obsessive Dr. Lang, convinces Barnabas that he will convince Vicky to marry him if he will agree to go along with this uh, plan. At that moment, Jeff Clark arrives with a box. He and Barnabas, a cool Barnabas, are introduced to each other. And then Lang opens the box to reveal a severed arm 
in the box. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, it's a hairy severed arm. Yeah. I don't know how they did it. Besides maybe having a crew member lay his arm in the uh, in the box in such a way that it looked like it was severed. I'll do a, a, a thank you thing situation. A what, sorry? A thank you thing from Adam's family. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right, yeah. Uh, now, Mrs. Johnson, the, the uh, cook... Ma- servant, I guess, made at the at the uh, Collingwood, ask Elizabeth if her son can stay for a few days, and she mentions that Roger is missing, that his room has not been slept in, and that he is nowhere in the house. Now Elizabeth is concerned about this, so she she phones the police to meant to t- let them know that her brother has mysteriously disappeared, and he's been acting strange the last few days, so she's worried about him. Later, Mrs. Johnson's son arrives, startling Vicky with his resemblance to Noah. The, the, mm. um, if you remember him, he was the underling of Nathan who kidnapped Daniel and attempted to kill him and was shot by Vicky. It turns out that Mrs. Johnson's son is an ex-con. And uh, later, when everyone is asleep, he pokes around the family study looking for something, but we don't know what. And uh, I don't know. Sometimes what's weird about the show is they'll introduce like a possible plot line, but they won't pursue it. And I'm, it's, hard, you know, it's hard to know the reasons. Maybe the actor's not available anymore. Because if you remember way back in the past... Um, um, uh, Vicky's former fiance, Burke, um, Burke Devlin crashed in the Amazon. And it was one of those things where I was like, did he die or didn't he? And it's possible that he, he didn't. And something was going to happen in some way that he was going to return, but he never did. And then the actor that played him left the show because then the Jeremiah that he played in the past self was then played by a later actor when he was like the ghost Jeremiah, which was kind of just kind of weird and didn't kind of made the character sort of disjointed. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it's kind of strange when they do that. Um, but I guess they have to. They're like, well, we still we need Jeremiah, so we'll just bring someone else to play him, whatever. We'll just put bandages over his face. No one will know, even though he's got a different build, different voice, and is obviously older. The sheriff calls Collinswood and talks to Julia. Roger checked into an inn in Collinsport, stayed there all day, and then checked out again. Mm-hmm. Julia shows Barnabas the head mirror. He is worried that Angela... Angela... Sorry... Angelique will kill Dr. Lang because obviously Angelique knows that has found out when Vicky went into the past that Barnabas was still around in this time period. And so she's like, I got to get this guy. So uh, Roger visits Dr. Lang in his office and he's talking to Dr. Lang. And then he seems to become very fascinated with Dr. Lang's strange, I gotta say it's a strange thing to have, a strange collection of harpoons on his wall. <laughs> okay. I mean, it is a fishing village. I and mean, how many harpoons should you have on the wall? Well, that's the thing. I, you know, and I thought it was a tasteful display of harpoons. And to be fair, it's a New New England fishing port, so they would have been, okay, they would sure, have had sure. a whaling past. Sure. You know, and so part of that would, you know, be antique harpoons. And, you know, you want to kind of maybe celebrate or remember that that part of your history. And what a better way to do it than have a bunch of you know, sharp objects on the wall. <laughs> sure. So uh, as the doctor prepares to examine Roger, he attempts to plunge the harpoon into Lang's back, but recovers his senses at the last minute and prevents himself from doing so. At that moment, Barnabas and Julia arrive. Julia takes Roger home, and Barnabas tells a dubious Dr. Lang about Angelique and her black magic. But Dr. Lang is like, I, sir, am a scientist and a doctor. I don't believe in witches. Although, I did cure a vampire, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. Uh, uh, you know, people that don't believe in witches get stitches. That's what I heard. <laughs> That's what I heard, too. Julia returns to tell them that Roger escaped from the car and ran away in the night. 
So then we see Roger showing up at Professor Stokes to give him Angelique's portrait. So we get another wonderful moment of Professor Stokes' plummy, slightly transatlantic accent, or mid-Atlantic accent, whatever they called it. Ah, oh, sir, good to see you again. <laughs> Remember me, I was once a coarse servant whose lower jaw jutted out and I was a, basically a living ape. Now I'm a respectable man with a monocle. <laughs> Anyhow, so he goes to Professor Stokes to give him Angelique's portrait. But when he unwraps the painting, the frame is empty. Barnabas and Julia arrive at Collinwood to find Angelique's portrait has returned. Dun, dun, dun. The next day, an elated... Some might say euphoric Roger arrives, and he excitedly introduces his new bride, Cassandra. That is right. He is married. After one day away from the house, he has married Cassandra, who is in fact Angelique. Oh, come on. I'm not kidding you. And she is wearing... crazy world. She is wearing this hideous brunette wig. Oh, my God. She's a natural blonde, the actress who plays her, and she's wearing this awful wig and uh it's 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 just the best when this happened by the way i laughed out loud i was so happy with this turn of events it was so funny to me not just the fact that he was so excited and happy and then he reveals his new bride and you're like who will this be and you look up from your coloring you're doing and you go oh (laughs) it's angelique what a turn of events uh barnabas and vicky are stunned because of course as a vampire. Yeah. A blood spit take. <laughs> just in the middle of like draining the blood. Oh, that'd be like, good. That'd be good. That'd be good. What? <laughs> yeah. That, that won't come out. Yeah. That won't come out. You can use some cold water. Um, <laughs> so, as I say, Barnabas and Vicky are stunned because they know who she is. And Barnabas is rather ironical to her, I'll say. He doesn't give the game away, but he he's ironical. Um, Elizabeth and Cassandra have a bit of a face-off because Elizabeth is concerned about Roger. Roger's been acting rather strange of late, not the least of which marrying someone after knowing them for less than a day, but also, you know, his running away in the night, stealing pictures, you know, other things like that. Um, thinking he's Joshua. So she's worried about Roger, but Cassandra just takes offense at which at her well-meaning, this well-meaning talk and feels that Elizabeth just feels cut out of the picture. So, um, Vicky is looking at the portrait of Angelique, and she realizes that Angelique and Cassandra are the same. And she tells Elizabeth, who poo-poos it, and Julia, who double poo-poos it, her suspicions. So they're not being very helpful, but I want to tell you right now, she is correct. Um, now, we see that Roger is under Cassandra's c- control. Uh, they're talking in the bedroom, and at one point he suddenly goes, I, I don't know why I did it. And she's like, did what? Why I married you after only knowing you for a day? What was I thinking? But she is, she is. <clears throat> while he was out of the room, she getting her an aspirin because oh yeah, he was insistent that they go on a on a trip to um, of all places, um, that place in the Caribbean whose name is now jumped out of my head. That Angel- oh Martinique, Martinique, which is where Angel- Angelique was from, and but she didn't want to go because she has I got work to do here. I'm trying to torture a vampire. I don't want to go to Martinique, but but Roger was like, we must go. I will not be I will not be uh, dissuaded from this. We're going to Martinique, and so then An- Angelique fakes it. She gets a, a sprained ankle, so no no Martinique trip. But she asks Roger to go get some aspirin for her, and while he's out of the room, she sneaks some powder from her ring, one of those fancy rings that keeps powder in it, into his drink 
And so as Roger begins to return to his senses, she she casts a spell on him and keeps him under her control. Barnabas invites Professor Stokes to the old house. He wants to buy a talisman from him uh, as a protection from witches. And Stokes, who is A, disappointed that he wasn't offered a drink right away. Sherry, my good man, uh, also wants to know what witch he's trying to protect. But of course, Barnabas is like, witch? No, I'm just interested. I'm just a talisman collector, and I heard you had one, and I wanted to buy it. But Stokes will not let him buy it, because Barnabas offers $1,000, and he says, what? I'm not going to sell you that for $1,000. He says, why not? He says, well, what if I need it back? It'll be too expensive for me to buy. So uh, he says, I'll lend it to you, like, you, I, like you're a museum. So he does. And then uh, after Stokes leaves, Cassandra arrives. And now, I don't like this part of it. I would kind of would have preferred if, if Barnabas had continued to pretend that he didn't know that, An- that Cassandra was Angelique and just continued kind of ironically hinting at it and being kind of frustrating to her yeah. and that she's trying to like play her, pretend she's Cassandra and not give away the fact that she's Angelique. But he like plainly knows it but won't say it, which I think would be more... But what happens instead is that he accuses her of being Angelique and she just plays dumb. And really is kind of impotent for Barnabas because he has no way of... There's nothing else to say, but, oh, but you are. And she says, I don't know what you're talking about. And he says, oh, but oh, you no, do. No. Oh, yes, you <laughs> exactly, are. Exactly, yeah. And it's just like, well, it's not... St- the drama has now been sucked out of this scene, by the way, writers. So that was too bad. But uh, after she leaves, and but she does not break character. She is Cassandra in the door, and she's Cassandra out the door. Uh, Barnabas goes to Dr. Lang and gives him the talisman to protect him from Cassandra, because he knows that his life is at risk. And while, Bar- while Barnabas is there, Cassandra comes as a patient, and she attempts to kill Dr. Lang with, a, with her witchcraft. And so she starts giving him a heart attack, making his heart beat faster, and Dr. Lang just about succumbs to this, but he's able to, to uh, stumble to his desk and grab the talisman. As soon as he touches it, the spell is broken. And Cassandra tries to grab the, the talisman from his hand, but he's like, no, no, no. No, nope, I'm keeping this. And uh, but he can't remember what happened. Like she, as part of her spell, is that you will not remember what happened to you. And uh, so he doesn't remember, but he's not going to let go of that talisman. So uh, Barnabas returns, and and of course he's like, "Of course that was Angelique, didn't I tell you?" And Lang reveals that his experiment to permanent well will permanently cure Barnabas, but also get rid of Angelique forever. Because what he's not just going to cure Barnabas, he's going to transform Barnabas, Barnabas into something that, into in a way that Angelique will not recognize. Okay. Because he, he takes Barnabas to the basement, his basement lab, and he explains to Barnabas that his life force will be transferred from his body into another body, into another body, and they're standing beside this body on, under a ta- on, under a blanket on the table or a sheet under the table, and the camera zooms in and we see that the arm is stitched to the torso. Bum, bum, bum. But we also see there's no head yet on this torso. Now, needless to say, when being offered this particular yummy cookie, Barnabas is hesitant. (laughs) I'm going to take your life force. What is that exactly? Oh, I don't know. Some vague part about yourself. You know, life force. I don't really. And I'm going to take that from you and I'm going to put it into this dead body here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. <laughs> this, I don't know. I don't know why I'm hesitating about this, but I feel that I am. We see then Jeff Clark and Dr. Lang are in a cemetery watching a grave digger finish undigging a grave. He's, he's filling it in. I guess there's been a funeral. Okay. I was just like, 
I'm digging a grave. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an ungrave digger. <laughs> That's right. I find graves and I, I undig them. I'm a grave digger, yeah. So yeah. Uh, he... Uh, about the time I'm done, people are back to life. That's what I do. Goodbye. So... Uh, means hello. <laughs> Lang is... Uh, is impatient. He's impatiently waiting for this gravedigger to finish this job. And he's like, how long does it take him to fill in a grave and blah, blah, blah. He's complaining away. And, and then, but Jeff Clark has just become so disgusted by this whole enterprise. And he refuses to take any part, any more part of it. And Lang holds Jeff's past over his head. And we learn that not only is, is Jeff a former mental patient, but also he's a possible murderer that he was found wandering the town, a town where two women were murdered with rope in his pocket that matched the fibers that were found on the women's throats. <sighs> so, but Jeff says, I don't care what you're going to do. I don't care what you're going to say. I'm not taking part in this anymore. And he leaves. And that night, he tells Vicky of his troubled past, admitting that he cannot remember much about his past. And she's like, that's because you're Peter Bradford. And he's like, I'm not Peter Bradford. But as they're talking, a jealous Barnabas sees them canoodling. So he goes to Lang's and says... He plans to cooperate in this procedure, but he, but here's the kicker. He wants his face to quote unquote, resemble Jeff Clark's. Carolyn meets Cassandra for the first time, and she introduces Tony Peterson, the crusading lawyer to Cassandra. Now, Tony confronts Carolyn about her relationship with Barnabas. As you remember, we were talking before, uh, Tony spied on Barnabas biting the neck of, of uh, Carolyn, which he thought was him necking with her, which... It's probably better that he thinks that. I don't think I don't think that Carolyn should be like, oh, that. No, he was just drinking my blood. So they have this argument, and more her, hers is more like, you know, you can't spy on me, what you uncouth ape. And his is like, what kind of relationship are you having with an old man like that? Come on. <laughs> while they're while they're doing that, Cassandra steals Tony's lighter from his briefcase, and Tony leaves the house to confront Barnabas. And as he's getting into it with Barnabas, Cassandra using the lighter casts a spell that lures Tony away from him to her. And once he's with her, she is able to keep, is able to cast a spell that he is now under her control. Angelique comes to Barnabas while he sleeps, and she uh, moves the plot forward, is what I'll tell, tell you right now. She tells him that his curse, that he thinks he has escaped. Yes, you're no longer a vampire right now, Barnabas. You can walk around in the daylight. You don't need to drink blood anymore. But your curse will return to you as a dream curse. Yes, that's right. It's a nightmare that passes from person to person like a virus, getting scarier and scarier until you, Barnabas, will be the last person to see it. And when you do, you will be. You will be a vampire again. Then she I leaves. I don't understand that. What does that mean? What's the dream curse? How does, how does that work? Well, uh, we'll get into it. All right. Or will you be satisfied with that if I say that? If you still don't understand. No, no that's fine. That's okay. fine. Uh, Maggie Evans comes to visit Vicky. Cassandra sees Josette. Because, of course, Maggie looks like Josette because the actress who played Maggie Evans played Josette in the past. Uh, Vicky asks Maggie if Jeff can stay with her and her dad. Lang convinces Jeff to help him with the experiment. I just got to turn pages here, folks, which is always complicated. One more day, he says. One more day. And Jeff's like, all right. All right. I know I'm always a very insistent actor, and I think I will help you with this. And... But then Lang injects Jeff, and Jeff collapses to the floor. Meanwhile, Cassandra sends the dream curse to Maggie. So Maggie has a dream. She's dreaming. And in the dream, she's in her house, and there's a knock on the door. She opens the door, and Jeff is there. 
and that she she can't speak. She can speak in her mind, but she cannot speak aloud in the dream. And she's trying to resist him, but he, she can't. And she can't help but follow him through a door. And then he points to another door, and she goes into it. And he locks the door after her, and she's stuck in there. She finds herself in this sort of misty room with a series of doors. All, all of them are locked, but one door. And when she opens it, to the sound of Josette's music, music box playing, a floating skull floats towards her from this door. And she screams and wakes up. And she's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dr. Lang prepares his instruments for surgery on a bound Jeff Clark. So he's going to cut off Jeff Clark's head so that Barnabas can resemble Jeff Clark. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. That's going to get the heads up. All right, good. So then uh, Barnabas arrives. And he is, he is horrified at the idea of Jeff being killed for him. But... Lang persuades him to go along with the plan. Vicky then arrives looking for Jeff, and she has a long talk with, with, uh, with Dr. Lang, and Barnabas overhears this. His heart goes out to Vicky, and he goes back to the lab, and he frees Jeff. But when, then, when, when uh, Lang comes back down, Jeff threatens Lang, and they get into it, and, and then Lang is able to inject Jeff again. Jeff, you think he'd be up on this, you know, but he is not. He's out again. Now, Barnabas pleads for Jeff's life. And then there's the deathless line from Dr. Lang, which is, neither of us can afford to live as long as he's alive. <laughs> so, obviously, didn't, read the, didn't remember the line quite right, but no going back. No going back. Just yeah. keep, keep going forward, everyone. No, no cut called. Just keep on going. Uh, he suggests that Julia could hypnotize Jeff and Dr. Lang. Is not keen on this because he doesn't want to involve Julia, Julia in his experiment. But he and Ben, and sorry, Ben and Barnabas have a standoff, and Lang threatens to shoot Barnabas. And uh, Barnabas is like, "Well, go ahead and shoot me, but there's no one else who's crazy enough to go along with your weirdo idea of transferring life forces from one thing to another. So, so I don't know what you're going to do if you shoot me." And Doctor Lang is like, "All right, we can get Julia here." So Julia agrees to block Jeff's memory. But Jeff, as he's speaking to her, reveals Lang's plans. And Julia's like, what? There's a body in the basement that he's going to to bring to life using the life force of Barnabas? Uh-huh. So she does hypnotize Jeff anyway, so that, and then investigates his claims. She finds the lab and discovers the headless body of the creature and then sh- yells terribly. Lang and Barnabas attempt to pacify her and she seems to go along with them. But as soon as, she alone, as soon as she's alone, she calls the police. But Barnabas threatens her with, this says to her, he says, Julia, Julia, listen to me. Dave Woodard, that's right, the doctor that Julia helped Barnabas kill. So Julia hangs up the phone and agrees to say nothing on the condition that there are no more murders. Julia pleads with Barnabas to not go through with the operation and Cassandra eavesdrops. So then now she knows that something's up. She calls Tony Peterson. She instructs Tony to steal the talisman from Dr. Lang. So... Dr. Lang, having received a call about an accident, arrives at the old house. And Barnabas, of course, is confused. He's like, I didn't call for you. And uh, and he says, wait a second, do you have your talisman on you? And Dr. Lang looks around, says, no, I don't. And then we see, while this is all happening, that Tony arrives. He breaks into the office of the doctor and steals the talisman, leaving Lang exposed to the cruel wiles of Cassandra. Lang now wants to push ahead with the experiments, but Jeff quits. He's truly had enough of this. Lang needs a new helper, and Barnabas might know the perfect replacement. Meanwhile, Jeff arrives at the Evans cottage, scaring Maggie, because she he was in her dream, and uh, 
she tells Jeff about her dream. So that night, Jeff has his own dream. But instead of, there's a few different things. For instance, it's Dr. Lang at the door. Mm. And he opens the door that Maggie saw with the floating skull, and it doesn't do much for him. But he opens the next door, and it's a guillotine that almost cuts off his head. Yes, that's right. It's as if from his real life, where he almost had his head cut off, the dream duplicates that. And he wakes up in some distress. Meanwhile, Barnabas and Julia go to Wincliffe, the sanatorium, and they have Willie released into their care. Willie, they bring Willie back, and Barnabas says, Willie, and uh, be good. And Willie says, of course, Mr. Barnabas. And then he immediately goes to Maggie's to explain what he was doing at her house that night that he was captured. And of course, Maggie's like, get out of here. You tried to kill me. He's like, I didn't try to kill you. I would never kill you. And she's like, get out of here. And then Joe Haskell comes in and he's like, I'm going to get you. And then Willie runs away. So Joe goes to the old house and confronts Barnabas. And uh, Barnabas attempts to control Willie, but Willie is, is, seems weird. He seems not normal still, even though he's been given the, the A-OK by the sanitarium. I'm saying 4F. So, um... Julia then offers to assist Lang in place of Willie, and Jeff tells the dream to Dr. Lang. Later, Lang has the dream. Mm-hmm. But in this dream, he sees Julia at the door. It's Julia who lures him into the room. And he opens the two doors to not much effect, but he opens the third door to confront his headless monster that laughs at him. That's right, laughs at the futility of his dreams. And he wakes up in some distress, much like Jeff. <laughs> Dr. Lang then tells Julia about his dream. Barnabas, preparing for his surgery, has Willie deliver a letter to Elizabeth, telling Willie that he will be having his, his life force transferred into a new body, which he has named Adam. Get it? He says to Willie. Willie says, I get it, Barnabas. But he wants to take this letter to Elizabeth so that this letter will pave the way for Adam to take his place. It's going to explain that Barnabas had to go away for a while, but his relative from England is visiting named Adam. And so he he should be welcomed by the Collins family. Yeah. Barnabas has had to go to a a farm up North. He's fine where he plays with the other man. He's happy and it's all fine. Everyone says Barnabas is the vampire. Damn it. I've been trying to keep this secret. Werewolves. I mean, no, no, Frankenstein. <laughs> so Willie goes to the goes to the Collinwood, where a nosy Cassandra is able to find out Barnabas's plans. From Willie, she learns that he is about to undergo an operation, a procedure that will change him, and she says that is a no go. Lang and Julia prepare to perform the experiment. Barnabas enters in a dapper dressing gown. Lang reveals the face of the creature, which even he calls Adam. And Barnabas says, I don't care what he looks like now. I was just, I was just having you on about that whole Jeff Clark thing. As Lang controls the devices extracting Barnabas's life force, Cassandra begins to cast a deadly spell using a wax figurine of Lang. In the midst of the operation, Lang collapses. He can no longer control the equipment. Barnabas is weak, but okay. Lang is dying. And an enraged but weakened Barnabas leaves to destroy Cassandra. So Lang tries to instruct Julia... Well, he does instruct her to perform the, op- the procedure without him. He says that he, she has to do it within 48 hours or the creature will die. When Julia leaves to get some digitalis, Lang leaves a taped message to Julia, which explains that Barnabas and Adam are inextricably linked, that one will die without the other and one will return to, uh, to a vampire without the other. <clears throat> Cassandra is startled by Mrs. Johnson and deals the killing blow to Lang. 
He attempts to tell Julia about the recording, but dies before he can make himself understood. And that's where we'll end this week. The death of Dr. Lang. <laughs> so much happened, hey? What a, yeah. sh- what a crazy show. It's just, uh, it's, it's just putting on the gas. <laughs> this is so crazy. The whole... I'd be curious when it, when it became its most popular. Like when well, it, I think it's, really this is yeah, problem. this is the time it was his most popular, right, right, right about now. Like yeah. the whole Barnabas thing. Like I've heard that there's a, uh, it's there's a later a part that is like a, it sort of has a Lovecraftian element to it that people didn't like because it it um it changed the power dynamic of Barnabas's character, okay. and so it, that wasn't as popular because people really like like Barnabas being like his evil self. You know, being selfish and doing doing his 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 thing, and everyone else like kind of ignorant of what, what's going on, and so I think once that kind of changed, people people didn't like it as much. But I mean, it was still popular enough that they made two movies about it in the in the early seventies, two two separate movies, you know, of, of the show. So oh, did they? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So so you know, it, it kept its popularity for quite a while. But I, you know, it's it's a usual thing. There's an eventual point of like fatigue sets in, and you know, no matter how much you refresh the writing staff, they just cannot come up with any more classic monsters to exploit you know so yeah i know it's, it's it's cool it's cool so i'm I'm pretty curious what happens next i gotta tell you gotta tell you because uh i don't know how i don't know if julia is up to uh up to uh, dr lang's standard of, of of knowledge of how to perform this this whole made-up thing that he's dreamt up so we'll see well then there we go so uh if you're if you're interested then tune back in next week for more Dark Shadows. <laughs> Dark Shadows. Or watch the show yourself as well. Yes, it's on Tubi, everyone. It's free. It's yeah, free. There you go. You can even like get, get a head start on me and watch the beginning sec- sec- segment of it, which is also on Tubi. And then when you and then when Dave's talking, go, Ugh, yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Very very interesting, Dave. Yeah. Dull. Tell us something we don't know, player. <laughs> so turning to the bag of mail. Oh, the mailbag. Happy bag that never fails. <laughs> I know occasionally the show derails. Never. But never with the listener mail. Um, so last week we asked uh, questions, as we do. One was, what's with your longest friendship? And what do you think has made it last? Also, mm. question from Brent. asked, what famous person are you related to? And are people impressed when you tell them? Mm-hmm. Well, ironically, the first response on our webpage, sneakydragon.com, yeah. is from Susie uh, Tannehill. Yes. says, I'm related to Brent, who is sort of famous, <laughs> and people are impressed. So there, that seems like Brent was fishing, and he caught <laughs> the compliment he wanted. Yes. Good day for Brent. Famous, famous Brent. <laughs> um, I just want to say one thing before we move on from that, though. That, please, please. Uh, Susie is one of my favorite names. Okay. That's all. Okay. I, I don't disagree with that. And you're going to ask me why I didn't name my first daughter Susie when I do like that name? Well, uh, okay, wait a second. Let me, let me, all right. Uh, say it to me again. Susie's one of your favorite names. Susie's one of my favorite names. You fucking liar. <laughs> you had two chances to name daughters. I know. I know. I know. And, I know. So what the hell, what the hell are you talking about? Well, you no, know, you're right. I, but I like the name Eve a lot as well. Mary yeah. came about because I was just, I could not think of a name at all. Like, I could not think of a single name. And it was Lisa who suggested Mary, and I just went, sure, that sounds good. Okay, so that's not named after anyone in the family. Uh, we did, she did have an Aunt Mary, but uh, not really. Not really. Okay. Not really. Okay. Very good. Let's see, let's hear from Louise. All right. Now, Louise is a friend of mine who is famous 
but she's not related to me. Yeah. So I could not answer Louise's question. But Louise is a Gemini award-winning writer, which is a Canadian award, which if you're in Canada, it means something. And I also used to write on a show called Street Sense, which Vice Magazine called, what do they say? They said, uh, the best kids show is something, uh, it was the best kids show in Canadian TV history. That's what they said about it. Nice. Yeah, she used to write that show. And she was one of the reasons the show was that good. For real. So good for her. Anyway, back to, she's doing stuff now too. I'm not going to say what she's doing now, but it's cool. It would be the kind of thing that you go, really? You go, yeah, that really impressed. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to say it out loud because uh, I'm not going to do that. Okay, Louise writes. You can't remember. Oldest, you can't remember what she writes? No, I can't remember. I don't remember my friend's work. <laughs> my, she also wrote Star Trek. Uh, the show, which was uh, very popular, and uh, I was in it. So, uh, you know, there you go. Uh, but it was more of the writing that carried it. My oldest friend is someone I grew up with on our block. She's a year older, uh, but we went to the same elementary school, dance classes, and youth groups. I think it's lasted because we lived through the ups and downs of growing up and growing older together. We're in different professions, but we can bitch or uh, talk about <laughs> work. When I'm anxious about big life changes, she has common sense advice like, others have done it, and so can you. She's smart, too. In the 80s, she was interested in computers, so she bought shares in this company she heard about called Apple. Wow. Unfortunately, it was the Beatles Apple Company and nothing to do with the computer company. <laughs> and by that point, Apple Records was eh, um, I'm not, uh, or was it? How was Apple Records doing in the 80s, Dave? Yeah, you're right. Pretty moribund. Good. I'm not, my joke works. I'm not related to anyone famous, but my cousin Steve, in his long-haired Surrey youth days, played a corpse on the X-Files. Nice. Wow. <laughs> uh, like, like Man, he, seven, seven, what is it, seven degrees of separation? Uh, yeah, and then you're a corpse. That's right. That's, <laughs> that's you're always seven degrees of separation from someone dead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unless, you're, he, unless you're a cat, then you're nine degrees. Ah, there you are. Well played. Uh, like in, he was also in Happy Gilmore. Oh, mm. he poured beer into a funnel for Happy. But I've written uh, for some well-known Canadian actors. People whose mouths I put words into include Gordon Pinsent mm. as Babar and Martin Short as the cat in the cat in the hat knows a lot about that. Also, <laughs> Bruce Greenwood as the centaur mentor Chiron in Class of the T Class of the Titans. I'm not sure how famous he is. He's one of those, what's that guy's name again, guys? <laughs> I think he's best known for playing JFK, American presidents that remind you of JFK, and Captain Pike in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek reboot uh, movies. Look at his face. You'll go, that guy. Exactly. Him. It's him. That yeah, guy. You're right. Of course. I'm, uh, I'm right now uh, watching a CBC show called Coroner. That I'm quite enjoying, and uh, through the whole thing, I'm like, "Hey, it's that guy! Oh, it's her! <laughs> hey, it's that person from Forever Night! Oh, there's the guy from Da Vinci's Inquest! Ah, there's that guy! It's nice." Um, Sarah Walsh writes us as she does, and as we are grateful that she does. Um, Fear not, I am still alive, thank you, and have not been crushed under a mountain of spring cleaning shrapnel. I just got busy and distracted uh, between hanging my bike on the 12-foot ceiling in my closet. <laughs> using only a drill, a long stick, a footstool, duct tape, and some rope, and having to go back to my regular schedule at work after uh, uh, going late duty for a while. Uh, my next phase of my project involves building several pieces of furniture, 
but that has to wait until my stimulus check arrives. <laughs> I hope it has by now. Yes. My oldest friend uh, depends on how you define a friend, I suppose. The non-family or non-family friends. I'm still friends with who I've known the longest, who are probably my old neighbors. I was eight, uh, so roughly 1988, and the kids were three and one when they moved into the house across the street. But as the kids moved away and started their own families, I ended up being closest to the mom, Sharon. She's a fair bit older than I am, but we bonded over our common love of the Beatles and Paul McCartney. And we still talk and occasionally go to concerts and stuff, including a Beatles tribute band and Paul himself at Dodger Stadium in 2019. <laughs> my oldest friend of my own age would be Chris, who I met in fifth grade, but they moved away in high school and we weren't in touch for a long time before Facebook reconnected us. I have similar spotty contact with several others from high school, but Chris is the only elementary school friend I still keep up with. My oldest friend of my own age, who I actually hang out with regularly, we've even managed uh, about a half dozen socially distanced hangouts in the last year, is Dan, who I met through a mutual friend about 17 or 18 years ago. Wow, it really has been that long. It has, it's true. <laughs> um, we are now turning to our friend Nigel, who says, I'm that guy that watched Serenity without seeing Firefly. <laughs> we were talking about that last week. Yeah. I liked Buffy, but I never watched it regularly. And the idea of a space Western didn't appeal to me. One of my college housemates really liked it. I didn't get the DVDs. And to this day, I haven't, uh, I still haven't seen the entire series. That said, I was intrigued enough to go watch the film and I really enjoyed it. I think it hits differently uh, than if you knew the series. It was upsetting when uh, Wash dies, but it wasn't outrageous to me. Also, there's an amusing bit when you rewatch the movie. While the uh, party is on, uh, party is on Planet Miranda, there's one scene where the camera spins around from person to person, and it stops on Wash when someone says, they died for no reason. <laughs> I was surprised when I went back to the series and found out that Shepard, Book, and Inara were core cast members. Mm -hmm. The movie gives enough info to make things work. It was extremely info-dumpy intro scene with layers upon layers, so you knew who River and Simon and the antagonist are. There's a quick introduction to the crew with enough detail to get into the relationships. And you know that the ship is under stress. Away we go. As uh, for the question of the week, I'm terrible at keeping in touch with people, so my active friendships tend to be with people nearby. Of those, the oldest are some friends I met at university in Prince George who moved uh, down here after graduating. That said, I have a couple of friends I met over the internet back in the ancient days of the late 90s who I'm still in touch with, so I guess they win. Neat. I am not related to any famous people that I know of. One of my uncles was involved with Quebec politics, though, at the level where his name would pop up in newspapers and magazines. A few years back, I went to his big 70th birthday party. It was among the attendees was a wizened-looking Lucien Bouchard from the Bloc Québécois. Uh, that's how they like it being pronounced. It's Bloc Québécois. <laughs> I'm fairly certain that there were a lot of big-name economists and politicians there, but most of the speeches were in French, and I couldn't follow. Well, it was just numbers. Uh, cheers, eh? <laughs> All right. Good day, eh, buddy? All right, then. Moving on, then, Canadian style to Chris Roberts. Hey, Chris, how you doing, Harry? Longest friendship is an easy one. I met Diane in 1988. We started going out in 1989. Broke up in 1990. Got back together in 91. Married, 92. And here we are. Dude, there's a lot of years in between then and now. What happened? Not going to tell us? Fine. 
Oh, but wait, there's more. Okay, good, good, good. Back when we were first starting to get one to know one another, I found out that when Diane was a child, her family had lived for a few years in my hometown. She mentioned the name of her older brother. Not only did I know him, we had been in the same class at school, and I could clearly remember calling in at his house one day and seeing his little sister in the garden. Neat. <laughs> Me. I'm doing a character now of Chris. Uh, I'm picturing you sitting in the dirt, scooping up earth and making it into shapes in the ground. Diane replies, yeah, that sounds about like me, all right. <laughs> so we actually first met in 1969 when I'd have been seven and she was five. It took me just 20 years to find her again. Well, I am glad you did not marry at that age because that would have been scandalous. <laughs> um, what's made it last? Well, lots of things. Yeah, what's made it last, I ask. What's made it last? Well, a lot of things. Uh, but I have to give some credit to, to the breakup we had in the early days. I was so sure we were made for each other and knew very quickly that I wanted to be your life partner. But suddenly it seemed our relationship was over. Reconnecting was far from easy, but it taught me never to take a friend or lover for granted and always to remember and value the qualities that drew you to that person in the first place. When nothing lasts forever, every moment matters. I'm not uh, related to any famous person yet. However, there's always a chance that one of our children might buy us a house someday. I'll let you know how that works out. All right. Well, good luck with that child lottery ticket. <laughs> and congratulations on your relationship. That was a very nice story. It was and that, uh, nice. That's, that is our uh, Sneaky Dragon webpage full of uh, comments. Well, Dave. Yes. Is there, are there any other comments? I do have, uh, I've got a, uh, ooh, 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 that. Wait, which doctor? Uh, <laughs> go ahead um now brent uh, wrote twice he wrote in twice okay uh so he wrote in under the heading movies comma pets mm. now tell me if i read this before but i don't think i did okay. he says uh when it comes to move when it comes to movies tv or books that i've never seen or read it's a hard question because you don't know what you don't know Laurel said she hasn't seen Game of Thrones, Sopranos, or Friends. The same goes for me. And also, The Simpsons and Seinfeld. There's probably lots more, but like I said, I don't know what I've missed. <laughs> there was about a 10-year period from 1982 to 1992 where I never listened to music, so I missed out most of the heavy metal bands. I've heard their names, but couldn't tell you what they sang. Well, not hearing and missing are two different things. I just want to point that out, Brent. Mm -hmm. You didn't hear them. I don't think you missed them. I grew up in Southern California in the 50s and 60s when every pet store and the back page of comic books sold monkeys. <laughs> now, yeah. this is, I don't know, that feels like an extreme sentence right there to me. Is it Southern California that every pet store sold monkeys in that time period? It just seems... Anyway, nowadays, when I tell people that my family had monkeys as pets, they think it's wild. But it was actually very normal back then. Also... They would advertise them in the back of uh, comics. Is that right? As pets? Yeah, like a teacup, a teacup monkey. Yeah, you get a teacup monkey. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Pretty pretty awful, actually. Yeah, but, but yeah, they would do that. So you could host train them? Maybe. Okay, maybe... <laughs> Maybe, maybe not, but they would, they would send you could, them to you. You could teach them which cupboards to hide it in. Well, they would be freaked out because they came in the mail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They would, put a, they would put a monkey in the mail. Yikes. Yikes, indeed. Oh. Yeah. 
He says, also, I should include in my list of pets, freshwater sharks. What? Horned lizards. Walking sticks. Which is followed by an asterisk, which leads me to say, which leads to read, oddly enough, walking sticks are not very cuddly, cute, or interesting. I don't recommend them for a pet. So, walking sticks and crawdads. The crawdads' names were Sparky and Scrappy. Currently, my only pet is a squirrel that I can feed out of my hand, who stops by our backyard every day for a free handout. He lives in an apple tree in our neighbor's yard, but I consider him, I consider him my pet. His name is also Sparky. The perfect name for every pet, in my opinion. There you go. Thanks. That is um, one. Then he sent another. Okay. Let me just interrupt real quick to say, if you ordered a, like in the, I think like 60s, early 70s, yep. if you ordered, ordered a darling pet monkey from the back of a comic book, it would cost you eighteen ninety five, And that would be a squirrel monkey they would send you. Well, that was probably pretty expensive in those days still. Yeah. But, uh, but reasonable. Yeah, for the teacup monkey, the one they send you in a teacup, mm-hmm. uh, they say it does not cost anything, so there must be something uh, that's a twist on it. Uh, so they, like, they just say, please give me a home, says the monkey that's in the teacup. Huh. Yeah. Weird. It is very weird. Please continue, though. All right, so the next email from, from Brent is uh, under the heading, Question of the Week. Who are you related to, and are people impressed when you tell them? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Actually, Brent, you asked. Uh, His eye related to Hopalong Cassidy, sort of. My grandmother's sister was his second wife. When I was a kid, Hoppy was a big deal, but soon he was forgotten. Nobody younger than me has ever heard of him. Well, I think I'm younger than you and I've heard of him, but I'm probably not much younger than you, Brent. Also, Robert Tannehill, the famous Scottish poet, is a distant uncle. But once again, unless you're into very old Scottish poetry... That will mean nothing to you, <laughs> but we know that uh, we know that uh, Chris Robert Roberts is, is cheering right now. He's yeah, Robert mm-hmm. Tannehill. Ach, I he's saying. Yeah, and I'm just worried this whole thing is gang affably. He's <laughs> he's tossing his Tam O'Shanter in the air as we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yeah, Robert Hill. But once again, unless you're into very old Scottish poetry, that will mean nothing to you in our family. Just to make things more interesting, we have a rule that if for any reason at all, if someone you know had some dealings with a famous person, that qualifies as a relative. For example, my aunt, Sigourney Weaver, I once worked for a person who was Sigourney, Sigourney's roommate in college. Therefore, I'm related. If okay. You, if you relax the rules about what makes a person a relative, it makes your life a lot more interesting. Well, thank you for that, Brent. I appreciate yeah. I I personally... Love that rule. And I'm now going yeah. to adopt it. And I'll let yeah, you know. And if you, and if you do the reverse, uh, then you get into some real tricky uh, problem with who you marry. <laughs> who you can marry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Everyone's related to me. Wait, no one's related to me. Wait, both are bad. <laughs> both are good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm doing the show, right? Yeah. Uh, so our questions this week are... We have no more questions from, from listeners. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for your questions. Oh, wait. Because uh, Brent, Brent did gave us both of them, right? Or did we just do one from Brent? Let me just check. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we do right, have one sure, more. Sure, sure, sure. Maybe check, we do have one more. I'm always mixed up about this stuff. Let me look at my book here. <laughs> Please do. Lucky I'm somewhat organized. Oh, oh, oh. I'm sorry. Brent does have one more question for us. Thank you, Brent. So the first question is something about comfort foods, right? Uh, yeah, what used to be your comfort food? What is currently your comfort food? Okay, 
And uh, Brent's question is, if you were allowed only five smells in your life, what five smells would you choose? No, Brent, I should have asked you to, to clarify that because do you mean five smells, like the smell of pizza, the smell of, of fresh laundry, or do you mean five sniffs that you're allowed to sniff something? You can only do that five times in your entire life and then your sniffing ability runs out. I well either would be fine. I think either. we'll go with I think we'll go with um smells. Like if you only have five smells, yeah. what would those be? So as I said, things like you know, this the smell of, of uh popcorn, buttered popcorn, the smell of laundry, just things like that. Let it whatever let your mind run the wild through the meadow of smells. Yes. The smell of buttered laundry, even more popular. That fabulous song, Buttered Laundry. <laughs> Um. Yeah, that song. I like it. Well done. Thank you. So those are our questions, everyone. And if you want to know how to get in touch with us, let me tell you. It's pretty simple. We have a website. It's called Sneaky Dragon, sneakydragon.com. You can go there. You will find this show posted there. And under the show, you will find spaces for you to write us thoughts and sentences and words and also uh, grammar, like things like periods, punctuation, things like that. So uh, what we want you to do is answer the questions there. And then we will read them on the show. And we love comments of all sorts as well. So don't feel that you are locked into this whole question of the week thing. If you feel like writing in and discussing a topic that you care about, please feel free to do so. We like it. And also, don't sweat missing past questions. If there's one that you liked a lot, but you didn't have time to answer it in the past, answer it now. That is fine, everyone. <laughs> so that's the website. How else can you contact us? Well, let me tell you, we have a website. Or not a website. We do have a website, but I've already mentioned that. So why am I saying it twice? I don't know. Just to drill it into your heads. We also have an email address. It is sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. We are on Twitter at sneaky underscore dragon. We are on Facebook. Our page is called Sneaky Dragon. See a pattern. And uh, we're on Patreon at Sneaky Dragon. You're welcome to go there and look into how you can support us. Actually, there's no instructions there at all. It's just basically offer what you want. Any amount's acceptable. It's okay. Uh, and so there you go. That's what you should do to get in touch with us. Ian, I have a feeling that you have some plugs you would like to mention. Here are the plugs we normally make. Uh, Dave and I do a, a book series in that there's two, but there's three eventually. Uh, <laughs> there's two. Uh, it's published by Scholastic's Graphic Line. Can I, can, uh, I just, can I just tell you that I am, uh, I almost, I'm almost, I'm over halfway done now. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. Round, in the, round in the corner here. Wicked awesome congratulations. Thank you. Good, good job. Yay. <laughs> I'm very, very happy to hear that. If you want to see the job Dave's done so far on the previous two books as a colorist, uh, they are called Sparks and Sparks Double Dog Dare. They're available. Hey, where do you get books? That's where they are. Get them. And they're drawn by Nina Matsumoto. She's fantastic. And they're written by me. I'm all right. I'm okay. Um, if you want to see something else that I've written that's a little bit more aged up, because this is generally for kids, even though I think you probably like it. Uh, but if you're a little more aged up, I do a book called Exorcisters. Two collections are out. One is called um, Kick at the Darkness, and one is called Damned If You Don't. The first one is called Damned If You Don't. second one, Kick at the Darkness. There you go. If you want to uh, look at something online, why not? Go to hellkitty.com slash super, and you will see a comic that I wrote with my wife, Pia Guerra, from Why the Last Man? Yes. What, the editorial cartoonist? Yes. <laughs> we did it together with our friend Moritat from Jonah Hex? 
Yes. And, well, what do I have to pay for it? Just pay what you want. Hellkitty.com slash super. Pay what you want comic that's there. It's about uh, people working in an emergency ward in a superhero universe. And if you want to see a comic strip, that uh, a single panel comic that uh, my wife and I do, uh, you can go to Go Comics. That's where all the quality comics are. Your Peanutses, your Doonesbury Eye, your Nancy Pupuses, and but also Mannequin on the Moon, which is the one that I do with Pia. And uh, we do a new comic every day. So go check that out if you want. And uh, I think that is basically it. Those are the things that uh, I'm plugging. Yeah. And I just I want to say one thing, which is I heartily enjoy all of those things that you mentioned. Thank you. I also want to uh, throw a plug your way for the other podcast that you do currently. Oh, thanks. We have not mentioned that yet. No, that's true. So yeah, everyone, if you enjoy music as much as I do, even if you only like it half as much as I do, you might enjoy listening to music with me and my daughter, Mary. We do this every two weeks. We sit down together and listen to music, and we talk about the music that we listen to. And uh, we do kind of fun things like make jokes and tell stories and tell stories about music and do little mini documentaries about artists that I really love and kind of explore their career through different songs. And we also have a little thing that we're doing this week, which or which is kind of fun, which is that if you want, you can send in your your astrological sign, and I will play uh, from an album called the Astrology Album your hor- horoscope or whatever it is your 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 whatever it is. It describes who you are as a that sign. It's a bit oh. of fun goofiness from the '60s. And uh, Mary and I, we listen to Mary's a Virgo, and I'm a Pisces. We listened to ours and had some comments uh, while we were listening to them, and that was fun. And so, yeah, write in and uh, we'll play play yours on the show. So uh, it's it'll be fun. So there you go, everybody. We already have one that we get to do for next week's show, but I'd like to do I'd like to do more if you want to hear that. Write in, and that's Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. Acres of fun. I me- I'm measuring the show in 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 land rather than in, in minutes or in a time. <laughs> Please do. All right, well, this has been a treat. Yes. Uh, so there. It's been a treat, but now we must trick. So everyone, look over there.